0: we where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show that's released every other Sunday, and this is episode 167, a Frankensteinian episode, including our coverage of the 2019 Sundance and Slamdance film festivals, as well as other great horror content. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and by Shudder, the Netflix for horror where you can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to shutter.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classic and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your MC for the evening, Gilman Joel Robertson, Filling in for Jay of the Dead and my co-hosts tonight are
1: Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA and
2: Wolfman, Josh, and guys, you're not my son.
0: (laughs) Tonight on Horror Movie Podcast, we'll have a collector's crypt segment where Dr. Shock will tell us about a new release Blu-ray from Arrow Video. We have our Shudder sponsored Screaming Online segment where we'll tell you what they've got coming up in the next little while and bring you some personal recommendations. But our main event tonight comes from the snowy mountaintops of Park City, Utah, where Wolfman Josh, as well as friends of the show, William Rowan Jr., Kagan Breitenbach, and Anton Linoge bring you live coverage from the 2019 Sundance (laughs) Film Festival, as well as a little coverage from the (laughs) Slamdance Film Festival.
2: So for our listeners who don't remember Joel from his many storied appearances here on Horror Movie Podcast, I just thought would remind you he is the host of Retro Movie Geek, of course, the incredible Retro Movie Geek, where uh, we've been guests for the Spooky Flicks Fest. And we we always talk about the Spooky Flicks Fest here around Halloween time. But also, Joel's our co-host over at the Universal Monsters cast, which is just getting going again. So yes, indeed, really excited to have you here.
0: Thank you guys for having me. I am happy to be here. I'm happy to help out. Yeah, so
2: this has been a pretty fun year at the Sundance Film Festival. I don't know that there was anything that was as mind blowing as some of the big films that have come out of years past, like the witch or it follows what we do in the shadows. There are always these really fun movies at Sundance. And we had a lot of really good ones as well this year. I don't know that there was one like hereditary or Mandy last year that really knocked everybody's socks off, but there are a few that people are definitely buzzing about. And I saw some great stuff, but mainly I just kept thinking, wouldn't it be great if Joel and Dave were out here at the sundance film festival with us yes
1: Yes, it would be yes it it would be it would be (laughs) awesome
2: it's been really cool we've got to meet a lot of really awesome and you know i i'm not like a huge uh celebrity person but it's it is fun to see the people who were just in the movie you watched standing there talking about it that's always a fun thing. so so let me ask
0: i want to ask i feel like you know as a avid listener of hmp i would be thinking this right now if i was listening in so i'm not saying anybody (laughs) else is thinking this maybe just me but who is the biggest star in your opinion that you have at least seen let alone talked to at sundance in all your years of doing it
2: in all the years yes uh, you know again i don't like really keep track of it to be honest i have to think back give me a second ryan reynolds uh Pre Deadpool, pre Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds. It was pre Deadpool's okay. re- actually for the release of Buried. Okay, it was there. Okay. Oh wow. Um, I can't. I can't think of. It. Andy McDowell was one I was personally excited about. She's maybe not the biggest star, but <laughs> as a as a big lover of Groundhog Day, I yeah. I about fainted when she got into line. And Bias. see, people
0: who think they know you would have thought you would have said everybody was anticipating a big fan of Sex, Lies, and Videotape. But no, you went the Groundhog Day route. <laughs> That's why we love you, Josh. That is why we love you, because you picked the right movie.
2: <laughs> well, and Steven Soderbergh and the Russo brothers were at Slamdance this year. It's the That's 25th cool. anniversary of Slamdance, and Slamdance has launched the careers. It's a, it's the smaller little brother Uh, punk rock little brother of Sundance but it's launched careers of Christopher Nolan and Jared Hess and and yeah and Soderbergh and the Russo brothers were here to celebrate this year which was really cool
1: that's excellent that's great yeah Yeah.
2: so it's always a good time so I hope you guys can come out in the future
1: yeah I would love that yeah that would be incredible
2: but of course Kagan and William did a great job so let's check out some of our Sundance 2019 coverage Okay, at this point in the show, we are live at Sundance Film Festival and joined by Kagan Breitenbach.
3: Hello, everybody.
2: And William Rowan Jr. Hello. Who is also producing all of the live content you're going to hear tonight, except for the sweetheart review. And so hopefully the audio quality will not drop greatly during that portion of the show. But we are going to talk about the horror and horror-adjacent films that we saw at this year's Sundance and Slamdance film festivals, and looking forward to it. So, guys, just first of all, how has your festival been going?
3: It's been going pretty well, yeah. I've seen a good handful of high-quality films across all genres, um, but I, I, should, I should say that there's the sort of Sundance-itis that happens which uh-huh. which for me is that you're being inundated by so many high-quality movies that you become even more critical than usual. Oh, interesting! And especially since this festival usually will churn out a horror film that will end up in my top ten at the end of the year. Uh-huh. My standards are much higher. Yeah, you're always
2: looking for that. Well, yeah. is this hereditary? <laughs> yes.
3: In fact, the last three years I was thinking my number one, Three years ago was *The Witch*, and then two years ago was *Raw*, and then last year *Hereditary* was in my top three. Yeah, and those were all films I saw at Sundance. Yeah, that's, so a high, that's a high standard. It's a really high standard. It was
2: the same for me with *Green Room* and that. That's right, *Green Room*. Yeah,
3: that was my number two that year, I think.
2: And it follows, although I didn't see that at the festival, but right, that would have definitely been in the conversation. Well, cool. How about you, William?
4: It's been good, man. I mean, mine's more like the whole because we've been going to Slam Dance also, so we've been seeing the difference between not only the styles of the two film festivals, but also like what they choose, you know how they how they vet the the vetting process for them. But um, and and also this is my first year with a with an actual like press pass, so it's interesting to be like um, going to a screening with. I guess what you would call the press, which I've never done before, versus what I've always done is just the public, right? And the energy is
3: the exact opposite of what I'm uh,
2: used to. Yeah. yeah. It's really depressing kind of going to the press. Re- really,
3: depressed screenings have less reaction from mm-hmm. the
2: audience? Is that. Yeah, they're not super invested because, well, first of all, there's also industry there. So there are people who are just there watching it to see if they're going to buy it. Right. And then 10 minutes in, they'll walk out of the theater if they're not. Wow, going to that buy would be it. depressing. Yeah.
4: Yeah, oh, it's not wow. like a, it's not the same experience at all. I mean, I do like that if I'm tired or busy, if there's a midnight showing, which of course I love, but you know, like if I did three in a row, it'd probably kill me. So yeah. if there's one in, earlier, in yeah. that is nice. But there's no emotion, though. You could be in the most intense horror movie you've ever seen, and you know <laughs> there might be people sleeping.
2: <laughs> yeah. So Kagan and I, before we started recording, we were just—I was talking about how I'm getting really burned out on the festival, and I think part of it is when you're going to the press screen is just like. Okay, like you're trying to fit in as many as you can for the podcast. Like, okay, next one, next one, next one, and I and you don't get that emotional charge you get from a public screening that has the cast Q and A and like the excited audience, you know. So the 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 burnout definitely sets in a lot faster, I think. But overall, I've been impressed with the films. I don't know that I saw like my Hereditary this year, but um, but I've enjoyed all of my experiences for the most part. The only non-horror films I've seen were a couple of kind of unintentionally. Because you <laughs> thought they were horror. I thought they were horror. Yeah. Except for we did go to a sci-fi film at Slamdance. But the Slamdance oh. thing is is interesting, too, because the the films are a little bit lower quality, but I do feel like they're stronger in terms of the risks they're taking. And, like, you know, they, they intentionally prefer first time filmmakers at that festival mm-hmm. so if they can get a first time filmmaker they'll choose that film instead over maybe a, a higher quality film from a more established filmmaker so I really appreciate that's, that cr- That's approach. great criteria I yeah. mean
3: because if you look at the Sundance branding this year, on the front of their books and everything, it says risk. And and if you watch a lot mm-hmm. of the films of this festival, and I'm not trying to be shady or rude or anything, but a lot of these films in Sundance don't take risks. Right. They're and, and
2: I've noticed that from a filmmaker point of view, from the the documentaries, we would go to all you know, I directed a doc that took me to festivals all over the country and then coming back after that experience and going to Sundance again, I was like how did these docs make it into Sundance? And and at Sundance, it's really it's about the message over the filmmaking. You know, it's like is this sure. a, is this a activist film? And they'll pick that over whether or not something or market marketability over whether something's actually like good journalism or an interesting take on a. On absolutely.
3: Topic. Yeah, absolutely. Sundance really does tend to. Find that social change, uh, like whatever's in the air. So right. last year there was the big uh, gun violence documentary. Um, right. There was this year we have a Harvey Weinstein documentary, right. and it the, the Sundance does. Tend to remain topical and somewhat political with the documentaries they choose,
2: right? And then that definitely takes precedent over. Is this a well-made film? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is fine because that's sure. how most people look at documentary anyway. But it is frustrating yeah. Yeah. as someone who makes documentaries. You're like, yeah, you're like it's not it just be an good en- filmmaking yeah. as well. <laughs> it's not
3: just an encyclopedia entry, right? Exactly. Which a lot of these topical documentaries. That's kind of how some of them feel. Yeah.
2: Well, let's jump into horror for the horror fans today, and let's start with, this was the first film, no, it was the second, but it was the first true horror film that William William and I saw at the festival, The Hole in the Ground.
3: Okay, so I'm going to read a synopsis, and this is direct from the Sundance guidebook, and here we go. Sarah moves her precocious son, Chris, to a secluded new home in a rural town, trying to ease his apprehensions as they hope for a fresh start after a difficult past. But after a startling encounter with a mysterious new neighbor, Sarah's nerves are set on edge. Chris disappears in the night into the forest behind their house, and Sarah discovers an ominous, gaping sinkhole while searching for him. Though he returns, some disturbing behavioral changes emerge, and Sarah begins to worry that the boy who came back is not her son. And uh, what country did this come from? This is... Ireland. It says, yeah, Ireland, and they also have listed here Belgium and Finland, but primarily Ireland, yes.
2: Yeah, so that must have been the funding or Belgium and Finland as well, but it sure. was shot in Ireland by an Irish director. Right. So, interesting. Um. So this we saw this at like 9 a.m., and I was thinking, <laughs> this is a hell of a way to start your day. <laughs> That's a weird time to, to see a horror movie. Yeah. What was your initial take on the film, William?
4: Well, for me, immediately, the cinematography, the lighting was gorgeous, beautiful. I loved it. I mean, not everyone, you know, probably cares, but once you start noticing how things are lit, when things come off natural and just smooth and beautiful, I think. I mean, I'm just so biased, but I, I personally feel like it's so much more, like the craft. It's more, so much more natural and believable. I don't know, like if I think I can feel like there's a big, huge light on an actor, I'm immediately just like taken away. But it yeah. just looked beautiful. So
2: yeah, I would go. I would say I agree with that, and also I, I like extremely lit, the things that are obviously fake. But I think most them fall into the middle category where it's just kind of bad lighting <laughs> right and so this was yeah it was really refreshing in terms of the cinematography I I was every time there would be there were a lot of amazing shots that like really took my breath away throughout the film um, but also not just like not just the lighting with the framing but there, I, I mentioned this to William and to the director actually I felt like. Each frame just has so much drama in it, which, again, that's, I think, for, like, general movies, it's really easy to just go into coverage of, like, you know, here's a wide, here's a, here's a medium, here's a close-up, and, like, just going around a table of people talking. I felt like this film was really told visually, almost like a silent film would be, you know. It's, it's every time that there's a frame, there's important storytelling going on. That's being told through the visuals. And there there were a couple of shots that almost reminded me of anime. Hmm. Um, the, the first one was during the car crash moment at the beginning. It's not necessarily car crash, but the first kind of incident in the film. Right. And there's this close-up on the driver's face during that moment and her hair's kind of blowing in the wind and it's focused on her one eye and like uh-huh. and it's just like wow you don't see a shot like this in a movie usually you know but it did remind me of kind of like an anime moment you know when they have their sword sure. out and the wind's blowing sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i thought that was cool and i just no- i kept noticing that throughout the film oh they've built so much drama into this actual framing so, Kate, when was your initial experience with the movie?
3: So I have to. I feel. I feel really bad about this, and I. This is the film I'm most excited to go rewatch because, it's the one that, I did feel. I felt bored watching it, mm-hmm. and um, especially for like, the, a, a good, bit of the beginning of it. But then I talked to a lot of people after it who just. Who really, who really appreciated it, really respected it, and uh, I actually saw this with my husband's boss, who is a neuroscientist, and he <laughs> was, and he gave me like the psychiatric breakdown of the film. Let's let's hear it. What, well, what did well, you he was, so so he started telling you about something I'd never heard of, which is Capgras syndrome. Okay. Are, have you heard of this? No. Okay, so I, I actually have the Wikipedia article pulled up, but it's nice. It's um, it's when it's a psychiatric disorder in which a person holds a delusion that a friend, spouse, or parent or other close family member has been replaced by an identical imposter.
2: So what? Th- so I love that.
3: This thing that's happening in this film is actually uh, uh, in reality at least part of this is something that actually happens to people. It's um, incredible. They think they swear that somebody in their life has been replaced by a mimic and it's brought on by a whole bunch of different things. But in addition to that like in the psychiatric breakdown was that the film also exploits a whole bunch of different common phobias like the yeah. uh, arachnophobia is really big in this film as right, well absolutely, you know yeah so I don't know I'm mean, and the claustrophobia and claustrophobia yeah so I don't know I'm, I'm excited to watch this again with a you know more more open mind is it the
4: pacing kind of like the or the tone or what what was it
3: I think for me it was and this might sound funny because but I felt a lack of oh. mystery for me, like I wasn't, I I don't know, I didn't feel like this continuing pull towards to answer these questions, and I th- I think that's what my biggest complaint with it was.
4: Yeah, that's interesting because because the way that it, it unfolds is it's kind of like their day to day, which is everyone's day to day, usually boring. Yeah, but but these little things change, but it does unfold very slowly, and they're very little. right Right. yeah and so you i could see uh being just kind of like is anything gonna happen (laughs) but obviously it does like pay off at the it is building but but i wonder if like if a different edit could pick it up a little bit
2: see for me it wasn't that as much as it was as a horror fan we've just seen these tropes so many times yes and so it's like okay I've have seen a million movies where uh-huh. you know body snatcher movies, which are one of my yes. favorite z- genres. Yes, and I would say this didn't deliver on some of the tropes you would expect to see that make of those that genre exciting.
3: Absolutely. But
2: further, there's the subgenre of like you're not my child movies, which <laughs> um, I mean we've seen a lot recently. Like I was thinking with. Uh, Christmas Horror Story. There's a scene in the forest. Oh, you're right. There the is a sort of little boy goes into a hole in a tree right. and he comes out and he's not their son anymore.
3: <laughs> oh, you're right. And I they, knew I. You know when you watch a movie and you're like, I've seen this. Yeah, but where?
2: But also, there's just <laughs> a creepy kid movie from Damien to whatever else. You know, We're so, Bab- so
3: Babadook is another yeah, one. Yeah,
2: and yeah, and so we've seen. If you're a horror fan and you've seen a bunch of horror movies, you've yep. seen all of these things before. Yes. And so I think what made this movie special for me then was just the execution, like we were saying. Like okay, the, yeah. the cinematography was so good. All of the thematic material that was there was so good. It's built yeah. and the way it pays off. And then there, there's something that happens that we've debated whether or not it's a spoiler or not. And I think the director, will, who we'll talk to in a second, also, kind of wasn't sure if he considered it a spoiler, but the film is called The Hole in the Ground. Mm-hmm. And I'll just, I'll just say it, the film goes there. Yes. And so for me, that was a huge moment because we see movies like Digging Up the Marrow or uh, I don't know, other films like that where there's a, something like that like but a they, phenomenon. But they don't go there. And, and, and you th- watch Digging Up the Marrow and you think, I want to see in the Marrow. Yeah. You know, and so I was really excited to see. It go where it went, mm-hmm. and particularly just the moment where it went there. I just thought this yeah. is exactly what I was hoping it would be. Mm-hmm. But um, again, once it does go there, I feel like it. It's very reminiscent of a lot of other horror films that we've seen. Final Prayer. I thought of the, blur- the new Blair Witch movie. I thought of oh sure um, the Descent. I thought of the yes. Devil's Doorway. I thought of so there yeah. are just there's so many things like this. If you're a well-watched horror fan so that that i guess is the hardest part of the
3: hollow was another one i wrote down there you go
2: but i just yeah so for me it's kind of like if this was the first child body snatcher type of film i'd ever seen i'd be like this is this is incredible it's a 10 but then just with the backlog of knowledge i have of these movies it it does go down a bit from for me
3: yeah first first world horror problems yeah
2: exactly (laughs)
3: Uh, another thing to note is that this was an A24 release Yeah. for, for people who that matters for, which for me that matters because A24 has such a track record that I would watch anything an they an put A24 out right production,
2: now. I found out during our filmmaker interview. Oh, really? They didn't just distribute? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. They actually produced the movie, too. So. Good for them. Did yeah. you
4: say first world horror problems? That's right. I, I want I, that on a t-shirt, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I want to wear that. That's hilarious. It's,
3: when you're in the midst of a horror renaissance... <laughs> you get to exactly. complain about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we always,
2: we've always we been talking recently on the show for the last couple of years um, and also just the horror community at large has been talking about how we're kind of living through a new golden age of horror. It's like the highest quality it's been for 20 years and so yeah. and like Kagan was talking about the Sundance-itis, it's easy to get really picky I guess yeah. when you're seeing such high level of content. I just want to mention really briefly the cast I thought was awesome. James Cosmo. Who played the husband of uh, a lady that they call the walkie-talkie in this film? Oh, uh, he really yeah. blew me away. He's most recognizable for me from Braveheart, but he's also been in like Highlander and Troy and a bunch of those types of films. But man, I really enjoyed his performance. Um, the little kid was good, Chris, and I think that's a. It's always hard to find a good child actor, and so to have someone that's competent is is interesting and then the main actress also she kind of reminded me of a mix between ellie kemper and okay. Sophia coppola <laughs> like that was kind of the vibes <laughs> i was getting from her but um i see that she was pretty good i mean and i think again it's hard for a young actress who hasn't done a lot of work to carry an entire film like this essentially because she's also she's playing against a child so she's really is doing a lot of work here and right does a pretty yeah. pretty good job Sure. So I'm not going to rate this one because I'll rate it when it comes out in theaters or for the wider audience um, on the on the podcast. But do you guys want to give ratings from the from the festival?
4: I'm not. I'm not going to rate it, but I can recommend it. I think it's high, like way above par. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Maybe it doesn't qualify as, as a big horror movie. There's not a lot of horror in it. But I think as a thriller, suspense, you know, body snatchers, kind of like, and there's elements of it. um, It's something I you you would see it at a film festival, and I think it looks beautiful. It's well made. Um, This is a great film for this director. Um, I would, you know, it's something I think you can watch with somebody who's maybe like taking their first steps into horror and just maybe um, you know not don't overwhelm them too much or scare them away. I think this is more consumable for people who are. You know, looking for something in the middle, but I like it. I think it's a great movie. I'd recommend it.
2: Oh yeah, I would agree with that. I I would call it firmly a horror film, but I would say it's pretty mild for most horror fans. And so, yeah, I, I would agree with what you said. It's pretty easily accessible for a mainstream audience. Like you, you, I don't know what the rating will ultimately be, but it would be easy to imagine this is a PG thirteen horror film. That
3: I agree. Yeah.
2: but also, I just think it's a beautiful piece of art on the visual aspect so yeah i I can recommend people go check this out when it comes out in, in whatever form but eventually it actually, I think it's a, it's a very soon going to be in theaters and VOD so sure. what about you, Kagan?
3: Well, I'm gonna hop on this bandwagon of not throwing out a numerical rating. okay, <laughs> mostly because like I feel like. Sometimes when you have multiple people giving a numerical rating, it will average out to something. Right. I don't want to be people's sole (laughs) source of a numerical rating. So I'll just keep it to basics, what you guys are saying. I do have problems with this movie. uh, But overall, I think it is worth seeing, especially for the listeners of Horror Movie Podcast. I would say it's must-see viewing for your 2019 horror movie season. Cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so at this point in the show, let's... Go to the interview that William and I did with Lee Cronin, the director from the Sundance Film Festival. All right. At this point of the show, we are joined by Lee Cronin, the director of The Hole in the Ground. Thank you for joining us on Horror Movie Podcast.
5: Really nice to talk to you.
2: So we're at the Sundance Film Festival. You had your premiere at The Egyptian. Um, what has your festival experience been like in terms of screening the film?
5: Um, in terms of screening the film, it was it was slightly terrifying. And yeah. like Yeah you know you make a horror movie to scare people but then you actually you're in the egyptian on a friday night with your debut feature you know i feel like i was the most scared person actually in the room <laughs> um you know you know it's it's it, but at the same time it's it's quite a remarkable experience you know it's really fun um and and since we screened the film and the second screening that we've had as well um there's been just really positive weight of support behind the film um people seem to have really enjoyed it and, and, and you know got great vibes from it so yeah I'm a happy boy at the moment
2: yeah you're you're getting the full experience here you've now lived the dream you've you've screened the Friday night of the Egyptian you've got a24s back in the film that's fantastic so congratulations yeah, thank that. you and it's an impressive debut film as well I'm curious could you talk about uh, some of the work that led you to this because uh, you know probably a lot of our listeners aren't as familiar with sure
5: the, yeah like like it's shorts kind of, I, yeah, I made, I made some short films along the way. Like, I guess it started. I was in, like, if if I was going to drill back quite deeply, I was, I was in film school. I was actually quite into comedy. I used to do a lot of knock around comedy kind of work, yeah. and then I made some films for museums. Uh, you know, I won't bore people with the details of how that happened, but I got to flex my, my I suppose my directorial mus- muscles in terms of what I wanted to do visually. And then I met with a guy that wanted to be a producer, and I and I was like, I want to be a director, and let's make movies. And we. uh we wanted to make some shorts to kind of get the ball rolling. And yeah. the best way we could start was like, let's make a scary scene really well. That's how we began. We made our first short. It worked out well. We made our second short off the back of that and then a third one. And then it got a little slower, like getting out of that short film world into the feature space. Uh, yeah, that's it's a hard
2: transition, I assume. Yeah. My background's documentary. I've had the same experience because i started out working in film on just like props and wardrobe and production design and i realized oh there's not a path to directing you just kind of have to do it
5: yeah and there's no rule book either i think that's the really interesting thing you can't sit down and say hey this is how i get from a to b to c i think you need to uh develop a voice and trust your instinct really so
2: is this the world premiere of your film
5: yes absolutely okay so
2: how how did a 24 become involved with your picture then
5: um in a, in a way that was completely out of my control, like it mm. was it was quite early on in the, in the process. Um, and they saw a, a few minutes of the movie. It was very unfinished. Mm. Uh, we hadn't even finished editing the film. Yeah. And um, they saw, I think, maybe three minutes. Okay, and they said we'd like to work with you on this. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. Which was which which was quite cool, and it was it was a little time ago, so it's it's that sort of news you keep under your hat for a while. <laughs> hard hard secrets yeah, to keep. Yeah, they're great people to work with, you know, and they're they're very filmmaker focused.
2: So your short film Ghost Train that became part of the anthology Minutes Past Midnight yeah. was that conceived as an anthology or did no they... not at all not okay. at all
5: that was just a standalone short film that we made. It actually had had its own life for probably the guts of two years at various international festivals we'd won some awards for it, which was lovely it was warmly received Mm. um, and played i said globally in really really cool places and and then sometime later um actually well what had happened it was it played at a festival in i think it's toronto little terrors um, and it was one of their favorites and they came back and they were like look we want to take some shorts that we really like and put it into this uh, anthology and i thought that was a really cool idea so it kind of gave the film a second lease of life then at that point So I just want to congratulate this movie
2: looks beautiful. I was blown away by the visuals of this film and not only just the standard kind of beauty things that people talk about with cinematography. I mean, because it does look gorgeous. The lighting and everything is just spot on also, but there's CGI in the film, but there I was definitely questioning myself like, is that is it has to be CGI, but is that CGI? So it's really thank you. Well done. Um, but also with regard to the cinematography i i noticed early on in the there's a scene that's not necessarily a crash scene but it's it's close to crashing very early in the film the skid the skid scene <laughs> yeah, yeah. and there was that there was this one shot in the scene that's that's kind of a close up on your lead and her hair's flying and you, her eyes are locked and, yeah. and i just thought there's so much drama in this shot it's almost like an anime movie or something Yeah, yeah. and as the film went on i just thought i was really impressed that so many of the frames had this drama that was so strong in yeah. in those frames so anyway i just want to congratulate oh, you oh no that's that. really
5: kind i think with something i think i think with something like that i just i always try and look at whatever i'm doing on a given day as an opportunity yeah. is there something i can do to enhance the idea we already have right um and with say a moment like you just described there yeah. i just felt like because the film has such a singular point of view, I just wanted to slow the world down for a second yeah. in this moment of potential peril. Right. And there's also a tension to that when you slow it down, you expect something hard to happen on the other side. right. You know, so it's, it's, it's kind of fun. It's, and it's really nice for you to point something out like that. It's something you plan. It's also something in the realities of a film shoot that you, just, you set up and you just start shooting and you say, turn your head this way, turn your head that way, and, and then you find within the edit the right moment that works.
2: So one of my favorite horror subgenres are the body snatcher Mm -hmm. movies. And then you also, I guess there's also this kind of emerging subgenre for, I guess it's been around. Well, there's the creepy kid movie that's, that's been around for a long time, but there also is this, you know, my child is not my child. thing. What brought you to this story? What was it that started you down the path to wanting to tell the story?
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it's, it's a question I've been asked a few times around the film, like, you know, and it's always a really interesting question to answer. I, and what I always say about it, it wasn't a light bulb moment, this film, at all. It was a convergence of ideas. It it So beyond the kind of the creepy kid thing and the, the identity uh, challenges within the story, uh, one of the first things was just the sinkhole idea. It was something that captured my imagination.
2: Which is incredible. Yeah. The organic horror. The the idea that, that it has that folk horror feel to it because it's organic.
5: Yeah, of course. And I think, like, the... So I'd read this article about a a guy in Florida who's sitting, look, we're sitting on a sofa right now. This dude's sitting watching TV and the earth opened up beneath him and he was gone. He didn't get back. It was like in his own house. And I was like, (laughs) that's pretty scary. And then I kind of like widescreen. I like big. So I was like, instead of a small hole inside a house, let's make a massive hole in a dramatic forest. But it was also just a metaphor, like really what that could represent. And at the same time, I'd um, I'd been toying with this idea of a kind of, uh, a, a crumbling relationship between a mother and a son and a lack of trust in what that might mean and I was thinking about this sinkhole I had this title The Hole in the Ground mm-hmm. I thought it was like it's a really brave brazen title and there's a giant sinkhole in the film um, and it was just yeah these things just kind of knitted together a little and um, it felt like the hole thing could represent you know, the terrors from your past, but also the fear of what the future might hold. And it it, it just, it was, yeah, it was, I'd love to say it was like a ping moment, but it actually (laughs) was something that took place over like nine months or a year. Mm. I Just these things that were kind of circling and it came together.
2: If you consider this a spoiler, we'll just skip, I'll edit it out. We'll just skip over it. Um, There were, there are a few other films that I've seen over the years that have kind of an underground quality. Stranger Things comes, First time mine but there's a film by Adam Green called digging up the marrow about some creatures that come out of a hole mm-hmm. and the whole time you think oh man I wish they'd go into I wish they'd go into the marrow yeah and I love I loved that you went into a sure. hole in the ground i, yeah. I, I it was a, it was like a cheering moment for me as an that audience member sense. I just I love first of all the way it was executed was also beautiful beautifully done but
5: do you, sorry, do you consider that I do I don't know if we call that a spoiler. Um, we could talk around it, but... We can talk around it a little bit. Like, we could also perhaps just suggest that it's just in her imagination. Does, okay. she the, does she go down the hole on the ground at all?
2: That's that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, we
5: won't talk about what happens then. I love that
2: goes. you go there in this yeah. film.
5: I think I have to... I think every time I approach something, I always would... Like, initially I was saying, no, I'm not going to go there because you're trying to be... You know, you're tr- you always think you're cleverer than you are. You're trying to be as unique as you possibly can right. be. But it was the same My Short Ghost Train. I didn't, it wasn't a month, like it didn't have a scary ending in the same way as the mm-hmm. short ended up. But always the my instinct then takes me to this place where I'm like, I'm a very audience focused. Right. I want people to have a good time when they watch a film. And I was like, if I don't take them there, then I can't call this film the hole in the ground.
2: Well, the thing is, is you expect this to, Uh, my expectation with this would be mostly a psychological experience. So I think it actually did subvert my expectations of what I thought you were doing with the film. So that was, I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you just practically about the hole in the ground. I kind of alluded to that earlier. It's just that a magnificent visual, uh, did you always know what that was going to look like in your mind? And how did you achieve that if, without giving too much away, I guess? Of... It, it was
5: it was a combination of things. Yeah, yeah I, had, I had a pretty clear idea. I knew I wanted scale and I knew I wanted... One of the biggest challenges was giving it a sense of personality because it's a very inanimate thing. You know, yeah. if you dig a hole in your garden and you look at it, it's just it's a hole in the ground. Right. And even if you dig a giant hole in your garden, it's still just a hole in the ground. So it needed a sense of personality yeah. and life. And I know I knew that like texture really mattered and a kind of sense of movement really mattered and a kind of sense of... Life, really, to it. Um, how we achieved it was just through a combination of things. I There's more visual effects even within the film than, you know, you recognize. Even the ones really? you might question. Yeah. I, 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 you know, really love the power of what I can do with a visual effect, but I always use it to enhance the world rather than to define the world. Right. Um, so throughout the sinkhole shots there's always some some element that's real whether it be the trees whether it be soil textures that have been shot and comped in as part of oh, the wow. digital elements that we need to do. And I think the more of those magic tricks that you pull the less you question the artificiality of it of of the visual effects that right. are there. So even within and there's there's sinkhole shots within scenes that are fully real. You know, so feet walking around the edge of it. You know, we did dig or found areas that, you know, could could be part of that sinkhole, but then you right. frame it in a way that it's just a small part of it that you're looking at.
2: Really briefly, I just want to ask you about casting. Not only sure. are child actors always difficult to deal with, but um, also your character, of Sarah, has to carry this entire movie pretty yeah. much on her own. So what was that casting process like?
5: you know, it, there's there's really two people in the movie. Like, there's some great support cast, and but I'd be really honest in the sense that it is about the mother and son relationship. Um, and both casting processes were kind of the polar opposite. So hmm. with, with Shauna, who plays Sarah, with Shauna Kerslake, um, I she wasn't the sort of actress I was thinking of at all. And, I, you know, I've spoken to her about this. Um, I was in a much more conventional headspace, actually, what I was looking for. Someone even older... Um, more of like what you'd call like a horror mom in a lot of ways yeah and it was my you know i have to give credit to my producer a guy called john keville who said watch her in this movie she's great and i did and i was like rang him up afterwards and i was like get me a meeting and let's stop talking to other people i think she's the right person for it um and it's because she's unconventional she's really unconventional in in you know in both her acting style and her kind of approach and she felt really real to me. And actually when I met her and I sat down I absorbed some of her personality, I went back and I did another draft of the screenplay, offered her the role and um, and, and brought some of her personality into it. So with that, it was there was no search. She was actually the only person I met for the role at all. Really? The wow, only that's person incredible. I spoke to. Yeah. We had a list of people we were going to speak to um, uh, but she was the only person I spoke to. But with, with James who plays um, Chris in it, that's a trickier process always. I think you have to do a lot of due diligence when you're working with young performers. Um you need to see a lot of different kids um, along the way, but he was always in the conversation and he's such an un- unprecocious, lovely kid. He's nothing like what he is in the movie uh, <laughs> at all. Um, but he was always in the conversation and he has great ability in, uh, to do nuance. I think one of the things I'm most proud of in the film is probably... The subtlety of his performance because it would be really easy to just make him crazy scary right but it, it's what the whole point of the film is what if someone is just a little bit different so he was able to take one step to the right
2: and it has the audience questioning every interaction they have you're wondering you yeah. know, how was the scene going to play out Is you know and is he what we suspect him to yeah be? you want to
5: keep that mystery running yeah, as much as you can wonderful
2: um I just want to say Irish horror over the last few years has been exceptionally strong. I find, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I was just kind of looking back uh, on my drive up here and I'm thinking the cured and a dark song and the hollow, the little stranger. And I, I've just been impressed by the f- horror films coming out of Ireland. Yeah. Do you, do you sense, do you get a sense of that? Is there a movement for horror? in Ireland? Yeah, I think or? there
5: is. I think like it's look, every filmmaker is different in what they do. Um, and funny enough, I think with Irish filmmakers, we're not going out there to be out-and-out horror guys. I don't think that's what it is. Right. I just think we all respect the genre. That would be my take on it. Yeah. I also think it's just... Well, the a
2: Devil's com- Doorway, I should mention. Yeah, right?
5: of course. I think it's a, a coming-of-age thing in a lot of ways. I think you've got a generation of filmmakers now that are getting their opportunities. They're at a certain age, and we probably all watched stuff that, you know, influenced, you know, at the right time. Like, I'm a child of Amblin. And there's certain things that I watched. I watched a lot of American horror movies growing up, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one.
2: <laughs> I hear you. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I, I look forward to our audience being able to see this film. I don't know if you have any release information that you can break
5: for yeah, us. Yeah, of but, course. So yeah, yeah. Like, the, the, like theatrically speaking, the film is out on, on the first of March in the US. So oh, well, it yeah, is available so. exclusively on Directv quite soon in like two days. There's a oh wow there's, yeah there's 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 a limited window there for. For some people, yeah, um, and and then the film drops on March the first. So yeah, it's, it's all quite quick. It's you know, very soon we're, we're riding the Sundance wave right into release. So that's um, Yeah, people don't have to wait too long to see it at all.
2: Well, we love to hear that because that's the one bad thing about festival coverage is people are always mad that they can't see the. They movies. gotta wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
5: we're we're talking about four or five weeks. Yes, yeah, so wow. it's not so incredible.
2: Long. Congratulations, and I hope you have a lot more success with this. Thanks
5: so much. Really nice to talk to you.
2: So that was my interview with Lee Cronin. William was there, and he also interviewed Lee for the Movie Moments podcast, so look for that also in the future on the feed for Movie Moments podcast. Okay, at this point in the show, let's move into our Sundance review of Little Monsters. Okay, Little Monsters is a 2019 film. It is directed and written by Abe Forsyth, and it stars Lupita Nyong'o, Josh Gad, as well as alexander england and a whole lot of children this is a zombie comedy which i did not expect from either lupita Nyong'o or from the still photograph that's in the sundance uh, guide it looks like a pretty brutal <laughs> film but basically what you have is this this character of dave he's kind of a washed up musician and he Go. He's living with his sister and assumes the responsibilities of caregiving for his nephew, and uh, starts taking him to school and kind of falls in love or in lust with his nephew's kindergarten teacher, Miss Caroline, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and finds himself on a field trip with their kindergarten class, and they go to kind of a local petting zoo where that happens to be next door to a U.S. Army base where a zombie outbreak is happening. And so this f- kindergarten field trip find themselves trapped in a petting zoo with deadly zombies everywhere. And Josh Gad, who plays an American... I should say this is an Australian film set in Australia. Josh Gad plays an American children's television show host who was performing at the petting zoo that day. And it's kind of like a low-level celebrity. And this group of people are, are trapped together. And in true zombie movie fashion, it's really their interactions that are the focus of the film and where most of the danger comes from. But the director, Abe Forsyth, talked about how this is kind of a love letter to kindergarten teachers and particularly his son's kindergarten teacher. His son suffers from food allergies and... He talked about how it was really scary sending him off into the world, knowing that just a really minor thing could kill his son and having to put a lot of trust in the kindergarten teacher. And he himself went on a field trip like this and had a a little experience that um, kind of inspired this story. So I I, I thought that was interesting as, as backstory, and the film really shows how a really quality teacher like Lupita's character, like Miss Caroline, can help open the world up to, to children and give help them use their imaginations to deal with really ter- what would normally be really terrifying circumstances. So, I thought it was great. I would say this automatically, for me, jumped into, like, a top three zombie comedy. I think it's in the conversation with Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland. Personally, for me, if I was ranking them, Shaun of the Dead's one of my all-time favorite films, so this is below that still for me, but I do think, like, this is up for debate whether it's better than Zombieland for me. I would put this above Fido or End of the Apocalypse or any other zombie comedies that have come out recently.
4: That's high praise, man.
2: Yeah, I, I have a good time. I mean, it's It's kind of a family film, except for it's just filled with the most filthy language. And Josh Gad's character is this maniacal—you know, not to give anything away—but he's, you know, it—it is a film trope where his job is being super friendly and working with children, but he turns into the biggest monster in the film. You know, he's very self-centered and willing to cut anyone's throat to survive. And it's a hilarious performance; like he—he steals the entire film as far as I was concerned, but the other two leads are strong as well.
3: So it's a comedy horror as opposed to a horror comedy. Yeah. I mean, I
2: think, it, I think it, you could definitely compare it to films like Shaun of the dead and zombie land. Uh, you know, I think those are films that are probably comedy first, but they are also legitimate zombie movies and that's how this one is handled as yeah. well.
4: And I got some great trivia from IMDb. Cool. It says, did you know, not to be confused with Little Monsters 1989 starring Fred Savage Howie and Howie Mayfield. And, <laughs> and that's it. That's the sentence and that's the only <laughs> trivia on it.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, I, I posted something about this film on the Horror Movie Podcast Twitter and I've already had listeners respond saying, not my Little Monsters. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the people love that Fred Savage movie, which I think is great. I actually loved that movie when I was a kid too. I've not revisited it, but... Can't imagine it holds up well with Howie how we Mandel. Yeah.
4: So the trivia is that it's not
3: that movie. That's yeah, <laughs> that's quality <laughs> trivia. Right. Yeah,
2: well, that's about on the level of my review. But yeah. no, I think um, I think Lupita Nyong'o is really good. She's she's a strong. I've seen her do comedy before, and she's like the straight person in this, so she's not doing a lot of like laugh out loud stuff. But um, I think she's a good foil to the other two comedic characters, and they're they're ridiculous. Like it's almost like stepbrothers type of comedy where they're. There are these oh boy. yeah, rivaled with each other. There's yeah. a lot of dirty jokes and stuff, but it's you know, a lot of the jokes are we're saying the F word in front of children. Like that's like probably twenty five percent of the comedy uh-huh. of the movie, You know. <laughs> okay. But it's fun. You know, I think it's yeah. a it's a fun comedic ride with some good zombie action.
3: All right. And this movie did get sold. Um so oh. people uh, cause friend friend of the show, Chris Peckover, is yeah. friends with Abe Forsythe. Oh, cool. And he says that this film did get sold and so I don't know what sort of distribution it's going to get, but it's not going to be put up on a shelf.
2: Okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, if you like comedy horror comedy first, and you like the films that I've mentioned that this reminded me of, and in the apocalypse, Fido, particularly a film like Zombieland, you're going to enjoy Little Monsters. It's that kind of movie. So that was Little Monsters. Uh, one film that I did not have a chance to see, that I, again, with my Sundance burnout I'm having, there's an opportunity to see this film today, but I have not yet decided if I'm going to take that opportunity or just wait for this to come out. But Kagan, you saw The Lodge. I did. So The Lodge is something I was interested in simply because I saw that Riley Coe and Alicia Silverstone oh were in it, and it was from the directors of Goodnight Mommy, Um, Oh, my gosh. So, Kagan, what did you think of The Lodge?
3: Okay. Sorry, I was freaking out there for a second, and I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. Okay, I'm going to actually read – I'll read the synopsis for this and kind of tell – Uh, people what this is about so devoted to their devastated mother siblings Aiden and Mia resent Grace the younger woman their newly separated father plans to marry they flatly reject Grace's attempts to bond and they dig up dirt on her tragic past but soon they find themselves trapped with her snowed in at a remote holiday village after their dad heads back to the city for work just as the relationship begins to thaw strange and frightening events threaten to unearth psychological demons from grace's strictly religious childhood okay so first off uh i think this will is really going to be your speed josh for a few reasons and i think you're going to like it even more than i did uh number one it says holiday village here but it's an isolated cabin okay and there is no nothing else for miles. And that sounds great. <laughs> and so, as a callback to your last Stephen King episode, this is a winter time, trapped in a cabin during a blizzard, sort of movie.
2: Honestly, from the description you just read, as well as the still that's in the Sundance catalog with just someone in silhouette looking out to an icy landscape, uh-huh. and the title of "The Lodge." I was already like ninety five percent of the way there. And then to have hear that the Goodnight Mommy directors were involved, yeah, I mean that's a big selling point for me.
3: Also during Christmas. What <laughs> Okay. Well we know what's leading our Christmas coverage next year. Yes. So yeah. I mean so The Christmas is very light though. It's this, very light.
2: My viewing today, it's between this and I am mother. And so those are the films I'm trying to decide between. I Am Other is a sci-fi AI film, as I understand it.
3: And it's worth bringing up in the horror discussion.
2: Okay, and I've heard it compared to Terminator even to some degree and Chappie. I don't know what Uh, terms of its visionary. Yeah, I would
3: say say Terminator in a blender with um, Ex Machina in a blender with... I have heard that as well. a slight bit of alien.
2: Okay. So what, before we're done today, I would like to know which movie I should prioritize the lodge or I am mother, but let's not, let's not okay, get ahead of ourselves. Okay. Put the okay. The
3: horse. Yeah. So another thing, another Josh LeGarie checkboxes, they say, <laughs> uh, they say, uh, the grace, the, the other woman I will call her in this movie has a strictly religious childhood. Hmm. It's not a spoiler. She was in a cult.
6: Okay.
2: And wow.
3: the, and the kids find that out pretty soon. Um, and it is no it is I can't believe I didn't know this, but just by watching this, it, it screamed Goodnight Mommy to me. Yeah. A lot. And I was like, it's very similar in a lot of ways. Speaking of multiple movies in a blunder, I'd call this Goodnight Mommy Mixed with the Shining, mixed with a tiny bit of hereditary. What? Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Right. Yeah. Um so uh this is mainly a psychological horror film. Uh, not a lot of hardcore horror action for most horror fans, but mm-hmm. uh, it's got a really good setup. Let me see. Oh yeah, this was made by Hammer. This is a. Oh ham- wow, that's cool. Yeah, so all these you know horror that's lineages. That's exciting. Yeah, uh, and then it also has the actor who played Bill Denbro in the It remake. Okay. He, yeah. He, he plays the character Aiden.
2: I will say he was probably my least favorite part of the it remake. In oh, really? The cast, yeah. Really? Yeah, he was my least favorite of the child casting in that movie.
3: Interesting. I think he does a fine job in this. Cool. Um, I mean, I
2: might be alone on that. I just, that was, he seemed, I guess, I don't know, I don't want to talk bad about a child, but he mm-hmm. was, the, I think, the most bland of the child cast. I felt like all the other child actors were kind of, I don't know, brought like some magic to their roles, but.
4: He sure. was a real jerk, and I didn't like his face. Yeah, that's what yeah. you were thinking. He smells funny. <laughs> I don't want to be mean to
2: a
6: child. I,
2: <laughs> well, I mean, he's trying his best. <laughs> right.
6: Sorry. He'll grow up and realize acting's not for him, and we'll be fine.
2: Oh, all these good memories. Sorry, I'm just joking. I'll cut all that out. <laughs> no, you're fine.
3: No, I think it's funny. I I, I thought he was. I, I bought him in it as as Bill Denbro. He worked for me. Okay. Um. And I think he does pretty well in this. Uh, yeah. So this this is really kind of a this is a, a, um, what was it, a slow burn film. Okay. Um, but I think the tension in this ramps up really well. Uh, I think it is shot well. It's very cold looking. Uh, for yes. a p- portion of the movie, you do lose electricity too. So like yes. everything that you see Lit in this. Candle maybe not oh. even that oh wow you know it's just like it's just what you see in these production stills are it sounds like it was that's made what for it my sensibilities. is yeah. yeah and wow i i'm terrified to know what these directors childhood was like <laughs> after making a movie like this and good night mommy yeah yikes i have a hard time really talking about it anymore because i don't there's there's kind of a couple twists that happen Progressively through the film okay. one of them. You can really see coming um, And for me that reveal it was really hard for me to swallow. There's a reveal okay. about halfway through that Asks a lot of the audience you have to assume that certain characters are capable of things and for me I, I I couldn't that pill was a little bit too big for me to swallow. So
2: compared to Goodnight Mommy, which also has asked uh-huh. a lot of the audience in that way, would you say this is harder to or like less convincing maybe?
3: It's it's different. Okay. I mean cuz Goodnight Mommy's relying more on like a really conventional twist, I think. Okay. You know, you know, and I don't want to spoil that film either. Right. But this is I don't know. I can't really talk about it a whole, okay. a whole lot more, but I, I will say this is, along with Hole in the Ground, this is mandatory viewing okay. for hor- horror fans this year. I think you're really going to like it, Josh. Okay, cool. I, have, I also have quite a few problems with this movie that mostly have to do with the plot, All right. but
2: worth checking out. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Thanks, Kagan. Yeah. So up next let's discuss the first film that William and I saw at the festival it's a documentary actually and it's called Memory, The Origins of Alien and as this was built, I thought this was going to kind of reveal a totally different origin story for the film Alien um, and that wasn't necessarily that so Kagan I don't know if you would mind reading again from the Sundance pamphlet
3: Yeah, so Memory was uh, a script that Dan O'Bannon started in 1971 abruptly hitting a wall at page 29 but after the idea uh, gestated for several years it ultimately took the form of Ridley Scott's masterpiece Alien Alexandra O'Phillips is that how you say it? Yeah documentaries most recently 7852 which is an awesome documentary by yeah, the way
2: the Hitchcock documentary
3: that's right about the shower scene have interrogated cinema culture cultural ripples if memory the origin of alien were only a comprehensive account of aliens origins ancient myths comic books HP Lovecraft sci-fi movies and parasitic wasps it would still be fascinating. But how did Alien lodge itself so indelibly in our cultural imagination? Philip's real interest lies in the deep resonance of myths and our collective unconsciousness. The strange symbiotic collaboration between Alien creator O'Bannon, Scott, and H.R. Giger suggests a greater synchronicity across history, art, and storytelling. A synchronicity that gives us the furies, creatures of renaissance painting, and even chest-bursting aliens.
2: Yeah, and I would say the film focuses not as explicitly on the chest-bursting scene as his previous film did on the shower scene. But there mm. is a huge... I would say if there's one major focus in terms of the film, it would be on the chest-bursting scene. The rest of it does deal with kind of the influences that led him to this story and there are a lot which I had never heard of that I thought were pretty interesting so William why don't you lead this one since you're the sci-fi guy here today right well you know
4: I've seen a lot of behind the scenes of Alien but I didn't go back and try to like revisit all of them to see why this was different or how it was different mm-hmm. so everything you just read Kegan it's like it's that's like not wrong but it, the last like couple sentences plays up like who wrote what, how this kind of all came to be. And then, but and there's like a, but right, but Mm -hmm. we're really getting into like some stuff you've never, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen or you haven't heard this story. I mean, look, I loved this documentary. It would be one of my favorite on a special, you know, edition of, of the Blu-ray or whatever comes out of this version. Right. But I don't agree with how that presents itself. There's nothing in this to me. That's like, groundbreaking or some sort of like i had no idea it's just, it is a lot of details that i'm like okay i didn't know you know i didn't know there was this version of the script at this point necessarily right yeah. but what i'm saying is is like I don't, i'm not entirely sure why this was at sundance and right. why it got in but i love it it just is totally out of left field for a sundance documentary to me
2: yeah, I would say exactly if this was on a special features disc, it might be one of the best docs right. of three or something on the special <laughs> features disc. As a theatrical experience and a festival experience, it was really a letdown for me.
4: And I mean, you probably don't want me to say this, but was this the film you fell asleep in or was it a different one and I had to tap you to wake you up? Uh,
2: that's a good I don't question. think you should say it on the <laughs> air. <laughs> 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 I did. I I was dozing off during one of our screenings, and the press screenings. It may well have been this. That's a thing. It's like, uh, see, I'm I. I'm gonna lose a lot of cred here, but I'm just not a huge fan of the Alien universe. I I enjoy them, but they're not. None of them are gonna make like my top fifty horror or sci-fi action. Maybe sci- Maybe my sci-fi list. But not my horror list. Even the first one,
3: a- Alien. Yeah. Aliens in my top ten. Oh, easy. Yeah,
2: and yeah. I, well, for more people, that's why I said I'm going to lose cred. But like, I just I don't care for them that much. They're fun. Well,
4: you say them, so just to clarify, and I don't want to get you know like an argument, but when you say the alien franchise, you know what that's doing in your argument is it's adding a bunch of garbage, sure, <laughs> potentially <laughs> into it. So we're just talking about the masterpiece called Alien. Right. Which yeah. I don't think garbage would be fair to put in I like
2: the first movie the best, <laughs> and then probably the one that people like the least, which is the
3: The David Fincher movie?
2: Well, I like the Fincher one too, and the I like I'm blanking on his name, the director of Amelie's film, whose name I'm blanking on.
3: Joss Whedon?
2: No, I'm not just kidding. <laughs>
3: you like Alien versus Predator?
2: I don't like I, Alien versus. Predator. I actually, I, I well, actually, I do I'll kind actually, of like Alien <laughs> <laughs> Actually,
3: actually, I think, I think Alien versus Predator. Is I like the setting of Alien un- versus un- Predator. an unfairly maligned film. It's, it's, it's a good popcorn film. It's well made. I'll, I'll fight people.
2: Uh, now I have to look this up because you guys are giving me shenanigans. Hold on. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, how many Alien films are there? There's only like, or, or, are, you alien... or are you talking about no, Prometheus? Are you talking about Alien? Just give me
2: one sec, I'll find it. Yeah,
4: uh, I included can... them all, but I think I just feel like this one is so good. And the Alien, yeah, just the first yeah. movie was groundbreaking, and I love, I loved that they put horror in space, and I think it resonates still. And I, and the documentary talks about that. I don't know. It made it seem like it was maybe a little deeper than i not. Like, they're just like, That's this is thing. the human soul. It and felt like, like it was setting up
2: a lot that it didn't pay off. <laughs> like, at the beginning, you're like, wow, this is going to be some deep, deep stuff. Right. And then it just never even returns to some of those ideas yeah, yeah. later in the movie. Okay. I would even say that it's a little self indulgent, honestly. Like, be- because of all that stuff that it opens with, it, it feels like if I was watching this on a behind the scenes doc, I'd be like, yeah, cut all the, I'll cut all this extra stuff out and just get to the point of the documentary because, because it isn't as fulfilling as it promises to be. All of that surrounding stuff feels self-indulgent to me.
4: I totally agree. But this is something you would watch in film school and would be valued on any copy you buy of this movie. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I would say, yeah, for creators, if you're a screenwriter particularly or a production designer or director, I think it's interesting to look at... Okay, this is how someone takes all of these myriad of influences and marries them into an original idea that feels completely unique. So that would be the upside, I guess, for me. Interesting.
3: I'm really excited to see this. Uh, Based on what you guys have said, I'm going to go see Little Monsters over this. Yeah. Because they're in direct competition at the midnight slot tonight. Yeah. I I do... Having not seen this, I will throw out that if people want additional information on Alien that they might not know about, the H.R. Giger documentary...
2: Now that's good.
3: That's good, and that will teach you things about Alien that not all the special features on the DVD, you know, something more than that. And this
2: has a pretty significant Giger section.
4: Yeah. I mean, he played a major role. Yeah. But...
2: It's not I, I think my favorite stuff actually was at the very beginning where they were just talking about all these like childhood influences like these comic books and things that had influenced them because that's the stuff you never hear about right yeah, so, old school original yeah. science fiction yeah
4: and all the all of the elements of alien have been around from the beginning basically of science fiction yeah and they took it all and they just like made their newest you know like put it in a blender I guess like yeah. we've been talking about. <laughs> And this is what they came up with, you know, in the late 70s.
2: Which is something that I would never would have realized. I would have thought this is a haunted house movie and a creature feature, but set in this really unique world with all of these super unique elements. But they're actually saying, yeah, I know, like the face hugger, the chestburster. burster, all of that stuff comes from somewhere. It's not just like a flight of fancy. And that was fascinating to see because I hadn't seen that before. But yeah, this is a very low recommendation for me in terms of like trying to get out to the theater to see it. Um, but if you're an alien super fan, it's worth a one time watch. And I would recommend, yeah, check it out on VOD. Or what I would love to see is this included on a disc for a alien release, like William was kind of alluding to at the beginning. What Cr- about you?
4: Criterion Collection. There you go. Uh, I, yeah, I've said everything, and I agree with everything you just said. I said can't say would it, you though.
2: recommend people see this then? Or?
4: In theaters? No. Is that the Yeah. Sure, yeah. No, but I, what see, about this, if it's I see this on Netflix next week right. and yeah if you if you're a fan of alien in any way this is a must see what if it's
2: like a 399 rental on Amazon prime
4: well i don't pay 399 on amazon for anything so okay. <laughs> 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 all right
2: Alright, that's it for memory the origins of alien and next we will talk about
3: okay so right now for a second we're going to talk about wounds um and this is a movie, it was in the midnight slot last night. And there was only two midnight movies playing last night. Okay. And I go to the Tower Theater because that's where they always do the horror films. And I wait in line, I get in, sit down, wait the half an hour it takes afterwards. And there's almost nobody in the theater. Lights go down, I'm like, where is everybody? Yeah. The Stu- uh, theater manager goes up on stage, said, all right, you're all here to see Top End Wedding son of uh i'm waiting for the rest (laughs) of the audience to gasp and say no they're wrong i went to the wrong theater (laughs) the first time in sundance history for me (laughs) that like i went to the wrong theater and so there's this wonderful midnight horror film called wounds playing at a theater across town that is starting and i'm not in the theater oh man what a bummer so i want to apologize to the horror movie podcast community for not being on the ball on Blew this one. It. So, Blew it. Yeah, I know. I was so embarrassed. But then I went home because I'm not staying up until 2 in the morning for not to watch horrible. Top of
2: the Hill? Top,
3: top End Wedding, top I think. Top End Wedding? Which I think is like a drama. I'm like I'm not staying up for that. So
2: for our <laughs> listeners, Wounds is one of the horror films that had a little bit more buzz during the festival. Yes. Um, it stars Dakota Johnson and Army Hammer. And I of interest i think to horror fans because it's from the director of under the shadow which was one of the a really good film yeah the best films of the year it came out so iran right correct yeah so a cool scene an iranian filmmaker get a chance to do a film in america with movie stars and and it looks like it sounds like firmly in the horror genre so we will look forward to checking that out along with our audience when we get a chance yeah
3: i'm very sad about missing it
2: cool and with that, let's, let's leave the midnight section for a moment and check out this film, Nightingale, that Kagan got a chance to see.
3: Yeah, so The Nightingale is uh, an Australian, another Australian film. It's actually technically Tasmanian. Cool. Um, Which is it,
2: where Sean Byrne lives, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Yeah.
3: Interesting. And uh, this is also a period piece. Okay. Um, it takes place in the 1800s, 1820s, um, and it's it almost feels like a western of sorts, which cool. you know you have you have people on horses walking around, um, but also if you're not really familiar with Tasmania, which I wasn't, right. uh, there's there's a huge racial clash going on there at this time with the aboriginals and the uh, Europeans who are there. Right. Basically, you know all the cruelty and mistreatment of the foreign other that you can imagine that you've seen in westerns and you know other films from this time period uh nightingale is um i'm trying to remember who produced this i don't have it written down but uh i would call this thing a combination between true grit and slow west but also mixed with killing ground and hills have eyes a little bit oh wow uh, not intensely. This is. Uh, so, are you familiar with Killing Ground very much? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Loved it. So, this
2: kind of. Even though this is a. 18- I should qualify, I loved it. It's a brutal experience, but it yeah, was well done.
3: It made it in my top 10 horror of that year, but cool. I would never watch it again. Right. Because it's just so mean spirited. Yeah.
2: It, and, but it is extremely well made. And, and
3: this is also in that, you know, the Australians, for some reason right now, are really digging this super mean movie yeah like killing ground like hounds of love yeah stuff like that and Mm. and this um in its own way fits in with that anybody who is sensitive to sexual violence should not watch this film okay because there is a ton of it um so i'll i'll hurry and read us short synopsis so one night in 1820s tasmania claire a young irish convict loses everything she holds dear after her family is horrifically attacked she's immediately driven to track down and seek revenge against the british officer who oversaw the horror so she enlists the service of an aboriginal tracker named billy Marked by trauma from his own violence-filled past, Billy reluctantly agrees to take her through the interior of Tasmania. On this brutal quest for blood, Claire gets much more than she bargained for. So it is a revenge thriller for the most part. But um, the inciting violence at the beginning of this is really really hard to watch oh wow um in in the reason why i included hills have eyes in that mix is because this the scene in there is it, it's reminiscent of that trailer scene in hills have eyes where you're like please just make it stop yeah right so this is not for the light of heart uh well and uh it uh i don't know tons and tons of violence uh but it has something good to say as far as the mistreatment over time of women and um, the aboriginals. So yeah. I, I recommend this movie. My only criticism is that it's a little long for what it is. Uh, but Jay, like, save this recording. Jay is going to love this movie. I'll tell you right now. So recommendation for horror fans, it's 80% revenge thriller, maybe 20% horror, I would call it.
2: Interesting. Okay, so that's the Nightingale. That was, is that in the next section or that was? Uh, Spotlight. Okay, great.
4: I also want uh, another t-shirt uh, that says, Westerns, people on horses walking around. Kagan.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Just
3: leave it to me to belittle a, a genre. <laughs> I
4: think it's great. I mean, that's you could say that's all of the <laughs> Lord of the Rings and Hobbit is. <laughs> it's true. <laughs>
2: So that was Nightingale. Up next, let's talk about a Blumhouse release that was at the festival, one of two Blumhouse releases. And this one comes from J.D. Dillard, Justin Dillard, who directed the kind of sci-fi drama film Slight for Blumhouse a couple years ago. Uh, There was also a Sundance premiere in 2016. This one is more firmly a horror movie, I would say, than Slight was, definitely more than Slight. And it is called Sweetheart. I don't know if I already said that. You want to read that, Kagan?
3: Yeah, so uh, Sweetheart. Washing ashore onto a desolate island, Jen has already survived a harrowing ordeal. Sorry. Stranded and alone, she searches for shelter. Finding only the scattered remains of a long-abandoned campground and weary from her terrible journey, she collapses in hope of a peaceful rest. But night is when it's most dangerous here. That's when the creature comes. That's a really short... Yeah. You really don't need more than that, though. She's You have a yeah. girl who's stranded on a desert island, and there's a thing that comes out at night.
2: Yeah, I do want to say it's a creature feature. I think this is a survival film crossed with creature feature. I didn't know that going in, because I, I had read the IMDb synopsis rather than the festival guide. And in right. the IMDb synopsis, it says, she must spend her days not only surviving the elements... But it must also fend off the malevolent force that comes out each night. So I thought, so oh, malevolent force. I thought, is this going to be supernatural? Different. What yeah. is it going to be? And I, honestly, I kind of was excited about seeing the Malevolent Force okay. movie. So yes. when I, there was an actual creature, I was like, oh, I was, yeah. I was hoping for Malevolent Force. But um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think it, I think it's a tiny bit of a spoiler to, to say this is a creature feature movie. But there's really no way to talk about it unless you say that it is.
3: I. I think you can fi- figure it out because really within the first five minutes, maybe, you see something that have, might have been ravaged by this creature. Yeah, you see the, res- so, the, the, the
2: results of this creature in action.
3: Yeah, so you can put two and two together fairly quickly. Yeah,
2: although I would say the one thing this reminded me most of was Lost. and oh, sure. And I thought, because there wasn't really a specific analog for this film for me. Um, But thinking about, like, the creature on Lost, which, as I said on Twitter, is, like, mostly blowing smoke, this one actualizes the monster, and so that's fun, but it had that kind of mysterious quality for much of the movie. Oh, yeah. The reveal of the the creature is one of the best scenes I saw this year. Yes.
3: It gives me chills thinking, like, it was so creepy. Yeah.
2: It was was
4: really good. Yeah. Yeah. It totally surprised me.
2: Uh Uh-huh. So what was your initial thought on the film, William? Um, you
4: know, it's, it's interesting when you go to these, to these screenings where if you go to the one where it's the Q and A's after with the filmmakers, mm-hmm. right? So, and I'm saying this just in case a listener doesn't do this very often or hasn't done it, right? where it, this is something I could have seen myself seeing, you know, just at a normal movie theater. And and it's not anything that's like necessarily groundbreaking, but you know it has its own style, its own take, its own feel. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was so surprising hearing the Q and A with all of the filmmakers, the star, the the director, and have them explain their impression of what they were doing because it wasn't anything that I was experiencing.
2: So that's picking up on the themes of the film that they were trying to get across.
4: I mean, I was picking up on the horror thriller aspect of it, but you know, it took. Not not just what they were saying. This is what it could mean, but also like when the when when the audience was asking like, what inspired this? What where where do you get like uh, the ideas of, of what it is or isn't and the names and their answers were just totally surprising to me. Right. And so I'm it, what I'm saying is is if we were just reviewing this after seeing it in our local theater, I would have an entirely different point of view and conversation than having listened to the filmmakers talk about it which right. is very interesting to me and of course that's the yeah. element of going to these film festivals that i think add a dynamic that uh of going to a screening that isn't uh, normally what you would experience you know totally yeah
2: so um i know what william's talking about it's not necessarily this but i just i'm just shifting slightly to kagan um did you see this with a filmmaker or cast Q&A afterwards? Uh,
3: the director did a and a afterwards, but I didn't stay. Okay. Yeah. Did
2: you pick up on any kind of social themes permeating this as you were watching it, or did it just feel like kind of a straight-ahead survival I mean, horror film? I mean, I
3: did, I did feel a social theme of the woman not being believed. Yeah. I felt that for sure because... Um, well, and I can't really talk about why without spoiling sure. a certain point in the film, but there is, you know, this credibility taken into. Yeah, I think her here. race
2: and her gender both play a role in what we're supposed to take away from uh, a, a person like herself having experienced a major trauma, right? And whether yes. or not that's taken seriously.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, you know and, I mean? and that, that that makes the title make a little more sense, too. Yeah, and I think that's think what the title is getting
2: out. The title now, as William said, the filmmakers didn't really push hard on that as being the meaning of the title. They were kind of just like, well, why don't you – do you want to say well, what they said? Well,
4: my memory was they – somebody asked about it, which, again, right. this is really fascinating when you go to these kind of, of uh, screenings because you – people are asking the filmmakers right there on the spot, like, what does this name mean, right? right? That was the first thing in their head. Filmmakers are right there. There's like, I don't know, eight or ten people up there. And right. they're, all, they're all just like, well, we, the entire time, we had like a bunch of names that we were throwing out there as jokes. And this was one of them. And I was like, so it's a joke name? And then they just, <laughs> that was the best joke name we had. And, and, and so I was just kind of like, well, that's weird. And I, I didn't know if they were joking or, because, you know, it was yeah. very dismissive. And I didn't know like, I don't know. It was hard to know if that was serious or not, but it didn't seem like they put a ton of thought into it.
2: So, as with Hole in the Ground, how that was an A twenty four production and we will assume an A twenty four distribution, um, this was produced by Blumhouse, right? Uh, and they had a sales agent there, and so I don't know that Blumhouse will be distributing this film. Um, so, that well, they ti- they, that, they really should. That title might change. Who knows? Yeah, I okay. mean, I, I literally ran into Jason Blum. As he was leaving the theater. Oh, you I, saw him? I had to run downstairs for something, and I don't remember why. To get a ticket? Oh, yeah, because our tickets got messed up. Oh. There's a
3: chance he's listened to this show before. Yeah. And maybe we'll listen to an episode like this. Yeah. Jason, it's a good movie. Oh, I think it's fantastic. And horror fans will really enjoy this.
2: Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah. Um, but but maybe <laughs> don't be surprised if the title isn't Sweetheart when it comes out in theaters. <laughs> Although, to the point that we were discussing before, I do think it hits that social commentary perfectly. It does. I was kind of shocked to hear them say that. And maybe they were just making a joke then. They might have been. They're just blowing it off because they didn't want to talk about the politics behind it. Because that doesn't, I don't think, come through super clearly. I think you could absolutely watch this on a superficial level and have a, a good time watching a creature feature set in a very unique environment yeah. and orientation toward the monster as well that the monster is very different than where you.
3: i think that's so fantastic though because it also i i love you know being able to enjoy a film on multiple levels yeah and and this really could be a provocative provocative film as well as a popcorn film at the same time yeah that's great you know?
2: Um, personally I loved that it was set in Fiji that was one of the other reasons I really wanted to see it just due to my own cultural background and so I was super excited that, to hear that they shot this on Bounty Island which played a role in the Mutiny on the Bounty films I think the 80s version I'm not sure exactly one of the Mutiny on the Bounty films uh Used this location, and this is very close to the Mamanuca Islands, where they have been shooting Survivor for the last five years, but also where they shot Castaway. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So this is literally a stone's throw from where they shot Castaway.
3: This movie has a ton of vibe from Castaway. Too. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that
2: was really interesting, and Adrift yeah. as well. I believe was shot in this area okay. from last year. So.
4: So, like uh, in your mind, uh, even though I don't think this is spoilers, uh, these kind of movies you have like people being. Picked off one at a time, and in right. your mind, did you see a torch? And you're like, with a little, what a snuffer, you know? <laughs> you're, you What's the, what's the line? Like, you, you've now been asked to leave the facility. That's what? the line.
2: That's exactly what they say every episode. <laughs> you have been asked to leave the facility. <laughs> yeah. No, the tribe is spoken. No, which oh. is not the cool thing about Survivor. Just that. Actually, that line and that. That tradition was what kept me from watching Survivor for about five to ten years because I thought that looks super cheesy. But we won't get into a huge Survivor discussion now. But that's the worst part of the show, as far as I'm concerned. Um, But yeah, so yeah, I was hoping to see a little more Fiji. There's not it's it's not like on display in its best you know light in terms of there's not there's nothing particularly interesting about the way it's depicted. It's just like very. Gen, like generic beach setting, but right. still beautiful.
4: I mean, I want to take a nap there, minus the monster.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. Just crawl up in a log or something. I don't know, <laughs> something like that.
2: For instance. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, so one thing about this film that I value a lot, um, that uh, not a lot of films seem to do, is its short runtime. Hmm. I think I think that sometimes filmmakers discount. Or or are unable to because of script limitations, make something a really tight, short experience. The runtime on this is eighty two minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember l- last year I was rewatching Wes Craven's thriller Red Eye, which that is a short sucker. Yeah, and there's something really fulfilling about getting this l- like really bite sized encapsulated film. You know, yeah, really, definitely. and and especially when it's executed well. It, I, it feels really good to watch a a brief feature film. Yeah. That's just no, I hear you. really airtight.
2: I mean, it was a little bit surprising that it was over so soon, but I was like, good. Yeah. Like, that was perfect. Yeah, don't do not do anymore. Yeah, you it's ne- good. didn't need to do anymore. I do want to talk about Kirstie Clemens for a second because I think this is a film that relies completely on the main actor, and she does such a fantastic job here. I was blown away by. Uh, how compelling she was. The only thing I'd seen her in previously that I remembered her from was Dope, which I loved her in Dope. I haven't seen her. But um, another Sundance film, not in any way a horror film, more like a street comedy, I guess. But um, she was also in Flatliners, which the remake with Ellen Page, which I don't remember her from that film at all. And she's in Easy, the Netflix show from. Uh, the Mumblecore folks whose names I'm blanking on right now. So uh, people may recognize her. She was just in Rent Live that was uh, like last week or whatever that was kind of a big oh, deal. yeah. I'm- but um, this really dope was the only thing I had remembered her from, and so I, you know she was not like an actress I was super familiar with, and I just felt, found her completely compelling through the course of the film. The movie really follows what would it be like if just an average person found themselves in the situation and had to survive, and I... I like that element of
7: it. She is a
2: little bit better than the average person at times like you know, oh, she, as far as how savvy her survival she survival skills. Yeah. But I think what comes through the most for me is just her willingness to keep trying and not give up mm-hmm. and face any challenge that comes her way because a lot of people faced with the things she's faced with just the survival elements of like needing water would curl up in a ball and die let alone having to deal with death and dismemberment and you know monsters mm-hmm. and all the other stuff.
3: Yeah.
4: Oh, did you interview the director?
2: I did. Should we check that interview out now? Thanks for asking. That's
4: not why I'm bringing it up.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I did. Did um,
4: somebody say segue? That's not, that's not what I'm doing. But I was, I was curious. Did you bring up, because uh, there's a jump scare in this movie where I almost threw out my back and, and lost my favorite hat.
2: Oh, my gosh. I totally <laughs> forgot to mention that you threw out your back to him. Dang it. I wanted to.
4: Because I, I have a deep fear of open water. And anything, hunting, of course. And
2: anyone. also wearing hats in theaters because of Carl yeah. Huddleston.
4: Yeah, he freaked out about anyone wearing a baseball hat in a theater for some reason. Like they did it on purpose. Like, I don't know what's going on. So but, you took your hat off. Yeah, well, actually, I was just hot and sweaty. But I took it off and put it <laughs> on my lap. Yeah. And then there was a jump scare I didn't, I didn't know was coming. And I was, it was late, you know, and I was rela- kind of leaned back, relaxed. But I almost jumped out of my seat. The hat went flying, but I didn't know. So when I went to get up, I couldn't find it. <laughs> So somewhere on the floor, and my back was killing me. Oh. And anyway, so you know, that's a win, you know, that for is a jump scare. A, that is a
2: poster moment. We that's what I was gonna to, say. Yeah. I threw be- my back out watching this film. <laughs> <laughs> can you just say that so we can send them that quote? Yeah,
3: I threw my back out watching this film <laughs> horror movie podcast. Yeah, I love it. Okay.
2: <laughs> so I had a chance to talk to. J.D., Justin, the director of this film, and um, we'll go to that in one second, but first, uh, what did you guys... Would you recommend this then to audiences? I heard, you know, Kagan came in pretty strong, saying horror fans will like this. Mm -hmm. Um, What would your recommendation be?
3: Having not seen Little Monsters and Wound yet, and Velvet Buzzsaw, uh, those three major horror films, this was the best horror film of Sundance so far.
2: Okay, so this Uh, is above The Hole in the Ground and The Lodge Trio.
3: For me, yeah. Yeah, and I think this will will this make it in a top 10 list at the end of the year maybe yeah maybe there's a there's a possibility cool. um but i think it's a, I think this would be fun to see in the theater i think Blumhouse would be smart to release this and market it to i i think average audiences would enjoy this pretty well very cool and yeah high recommendation from me
2: yeah i i would recommend this very strongly as well. I can definitely see this making my top ten at the end of the year. I don't know. I'm hoping, you know, you always just because it's very early in the year, I would hope that there are films that are going to place higher than it throughout the course of the year. Sure. But um, I would not at all be surprised to see this on my top ten list. So, yeah, this is definitely one to check out in theaters if you like survival horror or if you like creature features and then particularly if you like both. You're going to love it.
4: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is something I mean, I see this doing very well and i think it's something you would see in you know your local theater and i think you know it's one of those those movies that you take your your special someone that you oh. you want to jump into <laughs> your lap <laughs> throw on their key back moments. yeah
3: a <laughs> couple couple good scares in there
4: um i guess what i'm saying is it's it's very i it's for i mean anyone can enjoy this i mean yeah you have to want to –
2: I would say it's not terrifying. I think there are some scary things in it, but I I do think it's not mild, but I would say middle ground, you know, in terms of the fear factor for me. But um, what would you guys say? How, do you think this is a pretty scary experience? Or uh,
3: No, not... Uh, so I would put it on the same level with <laughs> Also location-wise, with something like The Shallows, as far gotcha. as how scary it is. It's like... Yeah, there are moments that will surprise you and, 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 and scare you, but it's not going to give you
2: nightmares. They handle tension well, but yeah. I, didn't, I didn't actually find the, the creature to be particularly scary for me personally, no. but I did like the, the way they handled it still. It,
3: it was menacing. Like You yeah. you knew that it would wreck yeah. you if, right. it, if it got anywhere near you. Yeah.
2: What about you, William? Were you scared? Um,
4: I loved the execution of the creature up to its reveal I thought Uh it was way better than anything in, like, Shallows, just because it seems super fake (laughs) in Shallows.
3: (laughs) I was just comparing the scare
0: factor. This is
2: largely practical, we should say. There are definitely CGI elements, and they're heavy at at points, but there are also some very long and, and you see the creature a lot and it's yeah. it's practical for a good yeah. portion of it. I
4: think if there's something like, I haven't done a lot of camping on tropical islands, but just camping in the woods, uh, in mountains, there's something about like being out in the wild and if you hear sounds that you're not familiar with and they sound like they're over you, over your tent, and there's right. breathing or sticks breaking, to me that's more terrifying than anything else I can imagine. And that right. hits home for me. And now I'm not gonna think of a Sasquatch when I'm camping on a tropical island. I'm gonna think of this thing. So to me it hits like yeah. more of a primitive like I'm you know, what is there out there, you know, on a tropical island? You don't know.
2: I hear
3: ya. you. Know? I, it's I probably think just a bore, but I, I think of the monster from the ritual now oh yeah (laughs) that's what i'll think about when i hear sticks crunching in the woods absolutely
2: okay so that was our review of sweetheart and now let's go to my interview with jd dillard live at the sundance film festival Okay, at this point in the show, I am joined by J.D. Dillard, the director of Sweetheart, as well as Slight, and Two Sentence Horror Stories. I don't know what that one is, so you'll have to tell us about that, but um, J.D., thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. So, I saw your film last night. Amazing reception, as far as I was concerned. How how did the premiere go for you? Uh,
8: Look, it felt good, and, you know, it's like... I'm sure you hear it a thousand times but you know once you kind of take the film out of the box and other people are able to look at it without you being able to guide that uh it's super scary uh (laughs) but um yeah people like laughed and screamed and all the things that you want them to feel and things that i didn't even know they could feel so you know i'm i'm excited cautiously optimistic but more than anything just happy
2: happy we got to share it I just want let me dig deeper on that. Things you didn't know they could. Fit. Were you surprised at some of the reactions that the film got at certain points? Well, you know, I, I feel like
8: I don't even know if it's surprise or not, but like comedy, I'm assuming. Right. Like, as you watch a sort of horror thriller again and again and again, you completely forget that things were scary. <laughs> um, you know, this movie doesn't scare me at all anymore. <laughs> so uh, when people jump and people, you know, scream, you're like, oh right, yeah, that. When we wrote it that's what we wanted to happen uh but it's just been so long since that moment uh you kind of forget
2: (laughs) yeah uh, a buddy of mine alex billington first showing tweeted right after that he was gonna have a hard time going to sleep last night so i think it definitely worked on the cool yeah good to know (laughs) perfect (laughs) perfect (laughs) so uh so slight was well here i guess sundance first of all back in 2016. and then it was distributed by Blumhouse, which, so at the time, also Get Out was coming out, and I thought, oh, cool, like, you know, is this a horror film? And not, no, it wasn't a horror film, but how did, so how did you end up getting involved with Blumhouse, I guess, initially? So Blumhouse had seen the film, uh, at the festival in
8: 2016 and yeah, reached out as a a distribution partner with WWE. Um, so that's how I met Jason through the acquisition of slight and, you know, we, we were funny enough while, while we were here at Sundance, um, I think we were about 20 pages into writing sweetheart. Um, you know, just kind of wanting to have something, ready to go after the movie um uh and by the time we were finished i mean it it, it it was kind of a no-brainer that you know if we wanted to do a horror movie we should probably talk to the horror guy we're working with
2: <laughs> that makes sense so uh you talked to uh, the Q and A last night about the inciting incident of, the, of this film uh, and, and uh, you said it wasn't anything grand but uh could you describe that to the audience the kind of inception point i guess for this film
8: Yeah, I mean, I think what's so funny about, yeah, how a movie starts is you know, look, it it it'll it can grow and it can really find its meaning, but you know, the the seed of an idea isn't necessarily uh, so cosmic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was like at a, it was after a wedding with friends in Virginia Beach and a handful of us went down to uh, went down to the beach um, and we're just kind of like hanging out and drinking and I was just staring out into the ocean and the moon was over the water and just in this like very peculiar moment of Zen thought the the scariest thing that could happen is Uh, something standing up in the water right back at me Um, and I jotted that down in my iPhone notes and in the morning called Alex and Alex my uh, producers and co-writers and that's when we started putting Sweetheart together.
2: So preserving as much of the surprise as we can about the film could you talk about uh, working with creature effects you mentioned that you did do have a practical uh, creature makeup but there's also clearly digital work done. Like, can you talk about balancing those things and how on location in such an isolated spot, how you dealt with those challenges? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day,
8: like it was definitely our intention to kind of make a retro creature feature. And, you know, part of that is kind of the, the quote unquote man in suit. Um, That being said, you know, Fiji is beautiful and it's great but and in, in careful what you say next <laughs> you know <laughs>
2: this could re- this could reflect my, in my review <laughs>
8: i just but you know with it with it being a tropical environment you could kind of say that it is slightly hostile to production not Fiji but uh, you know the, the, the weather and the sand and you know it, you just have to take extra care um, when you're bringing you know uh north of a hundred pound foam latex suit uh out to an environment like that so you know look it was my first time working with something like that and certainly there is a bit of a learning curve to just you know how best to capture it on camera you know um you know how best it moves and kind of talking about the sort of you know the the vocabulary of movement that the actor has in that suit. so there there were certainly a lot of things to sort of trial and error um, in in terms of just making the the creature work best for us. And then, you know at the end of the day, there there will always be things that the practical creature can't do, and that that's when we would you know turn to the help of. Uh, uh, our VFX friends
2: So, I did not know this about you but as I was just looking over your filmography I I did happen to notice that you had a credit on uh, the Force Awakens. So, what what is your background with it, with regard to visual effects? Or special so,
8: effects. Uh, so, a number of years ago, or uh, yeah, I think starting in 2011, I used to work at Bad Robot, J.J. Um, Abrams' production company. Uh, I was a the receptionist there, and then, come Force Awakens, I actually worked directly for him. Um, so, yeah, my IMDb credit is just sort of like a vague catch-all for working for him.
6: I see. Um,
8: <laughs> uh, didn't I didn't work in VFX, but I think that's just how IMDb categorizes it. I see. Um, but yeah, uh, Long Long have been in the Bad Robot family, and they they've been very, yeah, generous and supportive uh, of my career.
2: That's cool. So you you talked about the weather. Fiji has had some pretty severe cyclones the last two years in a row. Was, was that a concern in terms of uh, finding a good production window? Did you have any problems while you were there?
8: Yeah, so we shot in May, which uh, if I remember correctly is just at the end of hurricane season. Um, so funny enough i mean it only rained a handful of times while we were out there uh what we were more up against honestly is just rapidly evolving weather and not even inclement weather but just you know it being perfectly blue skies and then you know within an hour uh it being completely gray and overcast uh and and you know that type of rapid weather shifting is not so fun for our cinematographer um just trying to keep all of that consistent so they're, it happened so, so fast uh So there's certainly a lot in the color grade that where we had to sort of balance things out because, you know, halfway through a scene, uh, the sun came out and, uh, you know, it's not like we can shoot it later.
2: So I, I'm sure you've talked about this ad nauseum because it's impossible to talk about this movie without referring to the fact that uh, there's so little dialogue in the film. Um, I'm, I'm curious how you approached that as a director. Were you looking for an emotion in each scene? What was what was it that you're looking for, at the, in each of these moments, and how did you go about directing that? Yeah, I mean it's a really it's a really
8: peculiar way to work, and you know I, from from the very beginning the Alexes and I, you know, we we when we were writing this thing, we we knew that we just didn't want to use those sort of narrative mechanics where, you know, there's some conduit to getting inside her head um, because, you know, when I'm alone, I, I don't really talk to myself in like a problem-solving sense um, and we wanted to represent that in to a volleyball yeah you know like and uh, no, which you shot where Castaway was shot basically yeah uh, it was like it was, it was like a, islands, yeah. yeah like 20 minutes away super close um, so you know and but a, a lot of that work came down to just you know kind of hashing it out with Kiersey and then making sure that you know going into every scene we knew <clears throat> you know what she was driven by and uh, honestly not too dissimilar from a scene that has wall-to-wall dialogue it's just you know why are we here today in this moment what do you need you know what is preventing you from getting that uh, you know except the tools that we're talking about are just a little more primitive you know it's like I need to sharpen a spear uh, but why do you need to sharpen a spear um, but yeah at the end of the day the, the the conversation ended up kind of still being the same as if we were covering yeah a really hard dramatic dialogue Have you seen?
2: that's interesting Kiersey's ah incredible in the film I think the two of you between you did an incredible job at crafting uh, that performance as it comes across to the audience Um, was there any point in post production where you thought it would be nice to have a little dialogue right here or did you feel really confident uh, once you wrapped production
8: you know, honestly, I, I think we were just so firmly on board for it being, you know, Spartan in that sense that by the time it, we got to postman I there was not even another way to think about it. <laughs>
2: right. That is what <laughs> I shot. no <laughs> options. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's incredible, I should say. I want to be clear about that. I think it, it's done amazingly well. And
8: again, I mean, I, I, I owe... It working to Kiersey almost entirely. I mean, you know, she she has such a captivating presence, and she's you know immediately relatable, and just kind of you know imbues this great personality. So you know, it's not hard to watch her figure this out. I'm grateful to have had her uh, in this movie because you know I I think yeah, it kind of lives or dies by our ability to just like be engaged with her.
2: So, what does the script look like for that? I mean, how do you go about scripting that? I mean, we we wrote
8: it like any other script, but since there was no dialogue, I mean, it, it just barely broke sixty pages, um, which you know I think kind of can freak your producers out when you hand a draft in, and it's uh, half as long as it should be. Um, but you know, you, you just kind of have to have to trust that you're you're writing at a pace that is actually going to going to equate to enough story um uh so we were really happy and you know we were we were very lightly cutting some scenes together as as we were shooting and we were very happy early on just a clock that like okay this thing that we thought you know should take two minutes is actually taking two minutes even though it's only you know four lines of action (laughs) so um we, we definitely kept an eye on that just to make sure that we were actually enough movie
2: did you do a lot of survival research in your writing process like the chumming thing for me is something that probably not a lot of people would know about how uh, how much did you go into kind of survival in a on an island research when you were writing the script we looked at that a little bit but truthfully you know part of the
8: thrill of Sweetheart to us is that we're following a character like who is not an expert, you know, um, and, you know, it's a very different movie to watch the, you know, ex-Navy SEAL wash ashore and, like, look how clever they are. The cleverness that we wanted to tap into was just, like, her being human. <laughs> um, and, and her willingness to keep trying in the face of all of these challenges. Yeah, and, and, you know, one thing that definitely happens in the film is that a lot of the things she tries don't, they, they, they don't work the first time, so uh, it, it is a little trial by error, as a to just yeah showing up and knowing exactly what to do um, you know, part of the way we felt to keep people engaged was to, to watch her learn and to watch her try new things um, and yeah, to kind of live and die by those decisions.
2: So Kiersey talked about um, last night at the screening the idea of her character not being believed in certain circumstances. And in this case, you have an otherworldly presence that uh, may be hard for someone who hasn't encountered it to to believe that this is happening. She tied that to things that are going on in our culture right now. How did you think about that in terms of um, the voice that she has and kind of the social issues maybe underlying that, that this could reflect?
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of that was in the idea as it as it initially came together, but then at the same time, I mean, you can't turn off the world around you. And, you know, as that conversation evolves and as conversations between Kiersey and I evolved, you know, you, you kind of start finding new things in the movie. I mean, I, I think when we first started on it, the thematically, what was the loudest for us was, you know, how do, how do you escape a sort of an understanding that other people have about you? Um, and, you know, that that is sort of the the, One of the games in Sweetheart is that, you know, we learn to love her based off of what she's doing in front of us. And you have people arrive who clearly have an entirely different understanding of who she is. And whether whether there's some truth to that or not almost doesn't matter because she's proven herself to us on screen. Um, And we know that maybe she is stronger and she is, you know, more savvy than the people who are showing up, give her credit for. Um, But then, you know, it, it, it started to evolve very naturally into not not just that, but a story about yeah the power or lack thereof uh and being believed um and 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 very quickly yeah we we sort of carved more of that out of the movie
2: could you talk a little bit about uh just your casting and how you came upon kiersey and emery and how you uh, decided to, you know, basically to cast them in the film what you were looking for in these characters
8: yeah i mean obviously first just like wanting to work with great actors is always the goal um you know i think Kiersey is just so effortlessly relatable that when you're looking at a movie where the camera's gonna be on their face for like 95% of it uh, is a really helpful quality. And then Emery, what I just love about him is that he he is such a chameleon, you know? And we wanted to have this guy who, you know, we could like for 0.5 seconds and then immediately start getting frustrated with him. Um, And you know, one thing that Emery and I talked about a lot was just, he entered our movie as if he was the main character. That's what we wanted to feel as he joins Sweetheart. Um, so he kind of has to live with this bravado that like, you know, in the alt universe, he is the lead. Um, uh, that just happens to, to not quite fit with the movie that we're watching, so.
2: And, uh, which also fits so well with the themes you were kind of referring to earlier. I think all of that just works so well together. So anyway, c- I just wanted to congratulate you. I thought it was an amazing oh, film. Thanks, and um, You know, as a horror fan. And with my Fijian bias, <laughs> I, there wasn't anything I disliked about the movie. I had a great time. So uh, Awesome.
8: Awesome. Well, th- yeah, thanks for coming out, and it's been super fun to chat, man.
2: So, so where can people follow you online, and where can they look for this film in the future?
8: If you want to look at my inane musings on social media, okay. uh, I'm at JG Dillard uh, on both Instagram and Twitter.
2: Very cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. All right, well, now, was well, my interview with jd dillard of sweetheart again we recommend people check out that film we've now talked about all of the straight ahead horror films at the festival there were a lot though of what we would call horror adjacent films or thrillers that uh, would be of interest to horror fans and so we are now first going to talk about those that have the most horror in them and at the end of the show we'll talk about the films that kind of tricked us maybe that we thought were going to be horror films but then ended up not being horror films so In the thriller or general creepy category let's start with the ted bundy film this one has been getting a huge amount of online chatter from people i think who weren't even at the festival because of the trailer people thought that the trailer glorified ted bundy and made him look like kind of a sexy rock star and so i'm curious kagan having seen the film what how you felt about that this is directed by joe berlinger who uh, is most famous as a documentarian and in fact just directed a ted bundy documentary for netflix that's very popular right now uh, but he also did the paradise lost films that's and right. a lot of just really intense creepy real life horror so he's here now dealing with real life horror but in a uh, somewhat fictionalized setting with actors and scripts and Um, Kagan, what did you think of the extremely (laughs) long-titled, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile? Yeah.
3: Oh, so first off, I will tell people that that title comes from the actual court case, and the judge said it at Ted Bundy's ruling. Wow. So that's actually where this title comes from. I think it's brilliant, but, um it's it makes it challenging to recommend to people because that's that's one two three four five five adjectives really or sorry anyway uh so the director came out before this film and he addressed the the sort of controversy around the trailer and he was really actually kind of upset about it because interesting as the director uh he says that he has very little um Input actually no input on producing that trailer as no. is often the case. Right, like trailer houses make the trailer and they make. And they answer it. to the studio. Yes, and and so um, and to give you even more background on uh, this director, he so he worked on all those documentaries you talked that Josh you mentioned, but he also works uh, on Innocence Program. So uh, mm. so he was integral in. Uh, getting the Memphis Three out of jail, Right. and he's w- also worked with um, other other uh, convicted murderers who he thinks are innocent. are innocent. Yeah, and so he wanted to kind of take that spin of how he he's doing something kind of very misdirectional here, which is the idea of how somebody could. On the other hand, be totally guilty and convince the world that they're innocent. Yeah. And so, um,
2: this yeah, I movie think is that's the interesting idea for me when I heard about this is how would uh, and now I said victim on Twitter and people didn't love that, but the actress who portrays Liz, Lily Collins. Yeah, she referred to herself as a victim in an interview that I saw from Sundance. But um, yeah, uh, she is. Ted Bundy's girlfriend and so anyway when I heard that that was the perspective I thought what would it look like as a friend of someone believing that they are innocent like how would you if, if it was your friend if it was your boyfriend how would you deal with this information and see this person if you were in that situation
3: right right and and especially in this case you're dealing with a person who by all accounts was extremely charismatic uh, very attractive to people mm. um actually he was a law student and he was intelligent even even the the judge on his case remarked he said I would love to have somebody like you practice under me the judge actually said that what? to him that yeah crazy. and this is all from tele- this was a televised I believe the first televised murder case um And does this all come through
2: in the movie when you're watching the film or yes. okay interesting yeah and and uh So can I ask one more kind of trailer controversy question? Yeah. Um, People have said, well, people always talk about how Ted Bundy is handsome because it, it puts the blame on the victim. It says, well, they're, you know... These dumb girls fell for it because he was handsome, and they wouldn't have helped him if he wasn't handsome. Uh, do you think that's like a re- legitimate um, criticism? I guess.
3: So say say that again, a little. Um, a little better. Um, well, no, no, I don't. I'm trying to understand. So
2: the <laughs> <What?
3: laughs>
4: <laughs> who's saying that? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard.
2: Critics of the trailer have said that there's a misogyny built into the idea that we always talk about. Ted Bundy as a handsome person because sure. that that assumes that the only reason that these women were victims was were bec- was because they were attracted to him. If that makes sense.
4: So that if they had different tastes, they'd still be alive.
2: Yes, <laughs> I think. So I think with Ted
3: Bundy, uh, that that's a really one dimensional way of viewing him that's, yeah, because that's and 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 I actually kind of this it, I'm with the director it kind of makes me mad that there's all the controversy surrounding the trailer and not mm-hmm. I'd rather the controversy be surrounding the film itself right um because with Ted Bundy there are the looks but there's also the charisma, the charm, yeah. and there's also the intelligence. He really had all of them and And the sort of enigma about Ted Bundy is that he's so he doesn't fit the stereotype of a serial killer.
2: He's normal in other ways that people like Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't normal. I say that in quotes, normal.
3: Ed Gein's not going to go into a bar and charm anybody no matter how sexy he is. Right. You know? Because he
2: has a lot of other issues that. Yeah.
3: Right. I mean, it's it's a, lo- a little bit more complicated, than right? That. Right.
2: Anyway, I'm sorry to derail no, your review, fine, but I, that's just um, like what I, I'm getting bombarded with on Twitter, and I just yeah. think like I wished I had seen the film just so I could respond appropriately yeah. to those and, comments.
3: And, and the director does kind of pull a trick on the audience because at a certain point, maybe halfway through, you're rooting for him a little bit, like you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to, but then. It's because the seduction of Ted Bundy has also worked on you on yeah. on the audience. And Which that is, is
2: that's brilliant but challenging. Is, yeah. And I, so I hope people can see past and yeah. see what it's actually trying to accomplish.
3: Exactly. And yeah. and so I mean that kind of puts you in the perspective of a victim a little bit. You're just like this guy is a monster. Yeah. But for some reason due to my own you know, human flaws, I'm liking him for some reason. Right. That's, you yeah. know. And uh, I I will be very upfront. The director said this at the beginning of this film. This has no on-screen murders.
2: Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah, so it's a... Uh, imagine, because this takes place in the 70s. Imagine David Fincher's Zodiac with none of the murders in it.
2: Interesting. Yeah, so... Well, I've, does that then... <laughs> again, just playing the devil's advocate. Does that then minimize... Uh, the horror of what he did by and like let him off the hook a little bit and by focusing on his charms.
3: I think I think maybe a little. Yeah. I think maybe a little. And but but I mean, my argument to that would be: imagine yourself in the perspective of somebody actually watching that court case yeah. on TV. You didn't see the murders either, right? You know, you're you're just seeing this 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 intelligent guy defending himself to a judge, right? And you're just looking at this evidence and in fact um i won't spoil the ending of the film but um kind of when his guilt is affirmed there's a point in the film where his guilt is like affirmed beyond reasonable doubt yeah and it is chilling like it is it's like wow yeah does this go
2: through each of his victims and how is that handled
3: no, actually it it's from the beginning of the film it's really told from the the fiance's perspective. Okay. Uh so she just the first that she hears of this really is when you know, they're in court for up in up in uh Washington for some of the first cases. Right. And then she's just seeing him, you know, get transferred to Utah and then yeah, uh, and then transferred to Colorado and then he escapes <laughs> from Colorado and then he goes down to Florida. Yeah. And the murders that he was actually tried for was a double murder down in Florida. Okay. So the other murders and the evidence came forward much later. Oh interesting. Yeah. So yeah, and I think I think now he has at least 30 confirmed victims. So Wow. Yeah. But uh so my my opinion on this film, I think horror film uh, horror fans will enjoy it. It's a very well-done film. I've heard some mixed opinions about it at the mm-hmm. festival, but for me this is brash, but I'll say this has been my favorite narrative of, oh, the, wow. of the whole festival. Yeah. I think it was very well done. It was period without being obnoxious about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I I give this a really high recommendation. Interesting. So, just horror fans, brace yourself. There are no on-screen murders in this. I don't think that's a spoiler. Right. But uh, yeah. Cool. Ooh, fun fact. Joe Berlinger's last uh, feature film. Do you know what it was? No. Not a documentary. No. Blair Witch Two. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Which he he referred to and made light of oh, at the, the beginning. That's and hilarious. Joking about it, he's like, "My track record for features isn't very good."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ain't kidding?
3: So, anyway, that's cool. extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile.
2: Wow, that's incredible. All right, Kagan, what else do we have from the horror PSA category?
3: Okay, yeah, I'll try and I'll try and cover some of these a little more quickly. Okay. Since, uh, so the next one I have listed is share which is another A24 release. Did you see this, Josh? I didn't
2: even hear about this one. You were the one... Oh, Cher. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, for I some reason, about it from you. For, for some reason, I thought Sunny and but, Cher in my mind.
3: That's what... When I said that to be I said, well, we saw Cher, and they're like, oh, did she show up at the Q&A? Yeah. I'm like, wrong Cher.
2: Yeah, S-H-A-R-E. Yeah, I was very interested to see this one, and I was hoping this would be uh, not only a little bit horror-thriller, but also... Um, maybe my favorite narrative of the, of the festival based on what I had heard about it going in and having seen the short film that it's Inspired. derived from. Yeah, Okay.
3: I'll, I'll say right up front, I don't think this could qualify as horror. Okay. Even on the most inclusive list.
2: What about thriller?
3: Sure. Okay. Mostly, it's mostly, I would call it a teen sexual assault drama. which I'm sad to live in a time where that's a genre. Right. But uh, it's a teen sexual assault drama. Uh, It is made by, well, did A24 produce this? It's an A24 film.
2: Yeah, I think they did produce it. It, And it went through the Sundance Labs and everything. Um, It started out as a short film. I think she's been working on this for like four or five years or something like that.
3: Okay. Uh, And you can tell this has some of the hallmarks of an A24 film Mm -hmm. as in its uh, unconventional approach. In some ways, I also really. This is the first film in a while I've seen Robert Altman-esque dialogue scenes, where you really have to focus, and there's like ten things happening at the same time. You saw a
2: film like that at Slam Dance. Oh, really? Yeah. Look. Um, the Vast of Night. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But go ahead, sorry. Oh, you're fine. And um, I think I think uh, again, it's sad to say this, but we live in a time where. Um, these sexual assault dramas, there's a lot of them being made, mm-hmm. I think, and even TV shows. You know, Netflix has, you know, Thirteen Reasons Why. Right. That it's tough to get a unique approach on this, mm-hmm. and I think this uh, shows uh, sort of the penalties that a person would go through just by asking for help, having possibly gone through. A sexual assault experience, and kind of how your friends can turn against you, even though you're the victim. How your friends can turn against you, your school can turn against you, your family can turn against you, and uh, it's 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 a it's a nightmare. Yeah. And and it almost becomes less a question about because there's this mystery of did this actually happen or not. Right. They're trying to pick up these pieces, but uh, it becomes more a question of why do we treat people like this? Right You know, why do we treat victims this way Right Like, regardless if it happened or not Why do we, you know Why do we make their lives harder
2: And when you say sexual assault um, It's probably I'm guessing it's not On the same level as the nightingale In terms of like No, heavens Being disturbing in no. that way This is more no. about like uh, a photo or a video going viral. Yes. And, um, like, shaming people for their sexual dalliances or whatever.
3: Right. I'd say a really quick setup is that I think the opening shot, our main character, this girl, wakes up on her lawn, passed out. Mm-hmm. Like, and she just kind of wakes up and clearly has no memory of what's happened before. Right. A day or so later, some friends start texting her saying, have you seen this video? We're pretty sure it's you in it. Right. And it's a video of her laying face down on the floor in a fairly compromised position with, with, her, with her pants not completely on. Right. And people joking around. And that's right. kind of the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. Um, but not to go too long on this, I would say... I don't think this movie was perfect. Uh, I don't think it's horror. I think okay. it was decently made, though. It's worth a watch.
2: So it's interesting because um, the director, Pippa Bianco, she did the short film version of this, has pretty big stars in it, I would say. Um, Taja Farmiga plays the main actress oh, really? in the short film. And Keir Gilcrest from it follows is mm. is the young man that's like her friend and so I was surprised then looking and it has more also other recognizable actors in the short but I was surprised then looking at the feature that I didn't really recognize much of the cast um, how was the cast in this and I'm did you hear anything about the casting while you were I at the fest? I
6: didn't
3: hear specific things about the casting.
2: I, um, I'm curious how they got I guess a a more famous cast for the short film than, for, than the for the feature. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was intentional.
3: Maybe. Sometimes people want new faces for yeah. stuff like this. I, I and think I'm assuming Taja as well. Formiga
2: aged out of the role probably in the yeah, f- several years I it think, took to go from short to feature.
3: I think I think this is like um, maybe a 15, 16-year-old character. And I know this. Charlie
2: Plummer plays the Kill Girl Christ character. Charlie was... Um, most seen by horror fans recently in the Clovich Killer. He was the the young man in the Clovich Killer. Oh, I haven't Killer. seen that yet. Yeah. But. Okay. Cool. Interesting. I was just curious.
3: Yeah. It was- uh, so yeah, the acting the acting was quite good. I was actually pretty taken with uh, the the actor who who played the father, mm-hmm. who who I thought maybe had the most layers as a character. Okay, because you can tell he's this guy who really wants to help his daughter and really sympathizes with her, but he's incredibly. Um, he's incredibly defensive about her and he's also very uncomfortable talking about sexuality in any way. Okay. So in trying to help his daughter, yes. Uh,
2: so it was Jake, J C McKenzie. That's right. Okay. So um, people may have seen him in the departed, the Wolf of wall street, the aviator. So it sounds like he's a Scorsese guy. Yeah. yeah.
3: He did a good job as this father who wanted to be supportive but was also completely terrified by the situation. And because he was so immobilized by it, he almost added to the problem at some time. Interesting. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think this is a big thing in our generation. It's something I hope I never have to deal with as a parent going forward. But this is definitely something I know a lot of young people, I think particularly young women, have had to deal with. And so I think it's a movie for a time that I'm... It sounds like... Maybe not as good as I was hoping for based on your reaction would you recommend people see this film I,
3: I wouldn't tell horror fans to run out and see this right I think if you like a24 and you like their unique perspective and you you're open to a upsetting well, upsetting genre mm-hmm. I think this is well done cool. I think it's well done it's not a it's not a fun watch okay <laughs> So, but I, I would overall recommend it. Okay. I don't know if I'd, you know, not a huge recommendation, but I recommend it. Okay. Mm-hmm.
4: Can you think of a recommendation of this subject matter that is a fun watch? I would love to. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: well, I wondered no. if it maybe <laughs> felt similar to Searching, for instance, oh. from last year, or like had <sighs> that kind of feel to it.
3: I haven't seen Searching. Um,. Hard candy's kind of fun. That's true. (laughs) But you have to have a strong stomach for it.
2: Yeah,
4: And seeing I'm the worst uh, growing up with vocabulary, but I don't know, fun. There's got to be a better word. or (laughs)
2: For horror fans. (laughs) When you're a horror (laughs) fan, you learn to have fun with some pretty grisly scenarios. Absolutely. Yeah,
4: but there are other words you can use that can more accurately hone in on the emotion that you're experiencing. Possibly. And you think it's fun? That'd be...
2: Well, I don't I know. again. I don't, I don't know fun. about this film. Yeah, I agree. Like, like
3: a quiet place. Is so suspenseful, and you're sitting there, and you're every part of your body's puckered up and tightened. But yeah, like,
2: and when there's then there's a big jump scare or something. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, and even like a really gory film, like a lot of eighty slashers, can yeah. be fun to watch. There's something about that. Oh, thing.
4: right. We switched yeah. into general horror. I just, I just meant the subject matter oh, of no, sexual assault. Yeah, 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 yeah. of <laughs> sexual assault. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I probably
3: again, the not. Only, the closest thing I could say is hard candy because it kind of turns the idea on right. its head a little. I mean, bit, I'm just joking but. around. <laughs> <laughs>
2: How
4: dare you? I do I do stuff that all the time. Yeah, it was fun. They're like, was it? Was it fun? What was fun?
2: Well, I mean the part lot,
4: where you were murdered.
2: Actually I think a lot of <laughs> sexual assault films, although that's obviously like the worst thing we can think of, uh, short of murder, is um a lot of those films turn into like these revenge fantasies and those fantasies can be fun. Like Revenge from last year yeah. Yeah. is kind of a fun movie despite mm-hmm. it being based on like a really I spit on
3: your grave, rip-roaring tragic- time. Yeah. I'm
2: just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My on the left. What are you talking about? These are fun movies. Right.
3: So people don't get Kagan fatigue. Is there any other things that you want to talk about? Um, next? You well, to corporate, corporate Animals, animals
2: is one that um, is in the midnight section. It's directed by Patrick Bryce, who, yes, he has done comedy with The Overnight before, but he also, which I saw at Sundance a couple of years ago, but he's most known to horror fans for doing Creep and Creep 2. And so.
3: I like those movies. I love Creep and Creep too. I do both of them.
2: And um, yeah, and the the main actress from Creep Two was at the screening, so I thought, "Ooh, she's going to be in this film. I'm, I'm excited about this." And so uh, she wasn't. <laughs> I was like, "I didn't miss her." <laughs> she wasn't. She was just at the screening to support uh, Patrick Bryce. But um, yeah, so I walked into Corporate Animals knowing that it was Patrick Bryce, knowing that Demi Moore was in it, and seeing a really terrifying. Image to go along with the movie, potentially terrifying. And, uh. Should I describe it?
3: Yeah. It's uh, Demi Moore peeking through some rocks. Well, actually, you don't. I think you know it's her. And she's wearing this weird sort of papery
2: mask.
3: Translucent mask. Like glued to her face. Looking at the camera like a total freak. Yeah, so I thought. It's kind of unsettling. This could be
2: fun, and I had heard rumors that it was survival horror ish. And so I went into Corporate Animals. So I had kind of a bus night the other night because at first I went to Pe- I went to Velvet Buzzsaw, uh, which did you call that horror? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably ultimately. But but it came out on Netflix literally a half hour yep. after I got out of my screening. Yep. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, and then I went straight to Corporate Animals, and I thought, oh, this was not a horror movie. This is just a straight up goofy comedy. It's
3: would I'd I'd make it ninety five percent comedy. Maybe 5%
2: horror. I don't even know if I'd go 5%. Maybe 2 There's some gore. There's some gore. And there's yeah. some kind of fantasy, trip, like psychedelic fantasy stuff that verges on horror. Which I hated that. Really? That was maybe my favorite part oh, I <laughs> of I hated <the> movie. it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, not a... Not, sorry. I didn't actually like this movie. I just want to say, which I, and I feel bad saying that because I have, like everything else Patrick Bryce has done. I and the do. writer is this great um, British writer who's done... Some amazing work as well. Um, in fact, Patrick Bryce said he was his favorite current working writer. So Sam Bain. Yeah. So um, he did Peep Show. If you're familiar with that series in the UK, is probably what he's yeah. best known for. He also did a film, that, but I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. But um, anyway, Corporate Animals is a comedy, not a horror film. Absolutely. It's about some people who go on a corporate retreat, and they get trapped in kind of a cave in. In New Mexico, yeah, yeah, during a canyoneering um, portion of the survival retreat, and then it's just them dealing with being trapped in a cave, and it's ninety nine percent played for comedy. I -hmm. wouldn't say that the laughs are even that great, personally. Like it's fun banter, but it's not super funny for the most part. Right. I did like I did like the hallucination portion that uh, I was referring to. That's (laughs) kind of like a trippy psychedelia because. I, I don't know, I just thought Ed Helms is, plays a role in that moment, and I thought he was really funny, and I loved the makeup design for that portion of it, but yeah, I mean th- again, there's a little bit of gore here, as you can imagine in a survival film people who are trapped, they have to resort to, you know, some extreme measures to stay alive mm-hmm. in a thing like this, and people can get injured in, in a thing like this, but um, yeah, not horror by any stretch of the imagination no. not even slightly no. What do you do? You have anything to say about corporate animals? Did
3: you see it, William? No. Okay. Um, yeah. I. I. My initial frustration again was that on IMDb, this is billed as a comedy horror, and because of that, I. I prioritized it, and. Uh, I'm, comedy's not my favorite genre. I'll, I'll be straight up honest. I, I grew, I just grew to not like it as much. I don't know why. Uh, but. This movie made me laugh a few times. I can't lie; it did make me laugh a few times. Um,
2: It's pretty cartoonish. Yeah, uh,
3: some of the smaller details in this, which you're really not supposed to worry about in movies like this, really got to me. I think, and and I don't. I'm gonna rag on this film just a little bit. I'll restrain myself. But the the set where most of this movie takes place is one of the worst looking sets. I've seen it in a feature film in a long time and you it's go to
2: new mexico to shoot a movie anyway yeah to so shoot the exteriors but they also shot the entire film in new mexico Mm-hmm. why not just shoot in some real red rock canyon like right. what is the point of doing this on a totally fake looking set
3: it is it's and and it's not even like there's some i'm not i know a teeny teeny bit about geology enough to yeah. know that there are some things in this cave that just made no sense like the right. mixing of the sandstone with the limestone stalactites and stuff. And it's like, this is, this makes no sense. But then there's also just very unrealistic sculpting on, on the set. And, and at first when they showed it, I was like, this looks bad, but they're probably just passing through it. And then you find out, no, that's a, major location for the film. Yeah, the, was ma- like, the major, the major location. location for the film. And I was like, this is inexcusably bad looking. Well, a lot
2: of cave movies, they hide the bad cave design by just dousing the walls with, like, goo and water. Yeah. But one of the plot points of the film is that they don't have anything to drink. And so I thought that must have been why they didn't hose down the cave. But it just yeah. looks so fake.
3: It looks so fake. I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, it
2: looks like, it looks um, like sitcom cave.
3: Yeah, it looks... I mean, and this movie, this is such a criticky snark, but it had about the level of plot of an SNL skit. Yeah, like this would have been pretty funny, tightened down into about five minutes.
2: Yeah, well, it would be. It would have been a good short film. It would have been
3: a good short film
2: or a feature if they had more plotting, but just nothing yeah. much happens, and the characters aren't interesting enough to sustain mm-hmm. the runtime. Um, yeah, this this writer, yeah, besides having done Peep Show, which I I recommend as a really original British comedy series if you like that sort of thing also wrote four lions which is unique because it is a comedy about um suicide bombers so it's it's dealing with a (laughs) very difficult subject matter there and and i think pulling it off wow so um but yeah this not as much for me
3: no not for me either and it's, it's a movie that I could really rag on if I wanted to. I wrote down some pretty hardcore criticisms okay. about it, but I, don't, I, w- I won't do that.
2: Okay. I mean, I would say, yeah, I could too, but it's like, for the horror audience, just know, it's skip it, and yeah. um, we probably don't need to spend a lot more time on yeah. this for this audience. But yeah, Pat- Patrick Bryce, I love... And I'm sorry to give his film such a bad review, but um, yeah, go watch Creep Two again instead.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I I second that sentiment, and I I would say if you if you really like comedy, there are some laughs in this that work, and maybe it wouldn't be a bad red box movie, I guess, if you're a big comedy fan. But as a horror fan, it's a straight up avoid.
2: Yeah. So I mean, the, yeah, some of the cast members are okay. There's an SNL cast member in this who, yeah. um. Is beloved by the people who watch the new series. Um, I don't even know what her name is actually, though. Uh, Nassim is her name, and then um, there's uh, Karen Sony, who was in like the Ghostbusters reboot and Deadpool. He's the taxi driver. He's fine. And Ed Helms, I love. Yeah, his but, scenes are all pretty good. Yeah, he's good. But I would say, I would say this is maybe Demi Moore's worst movie I've ever seen her in. Oh, yeah. Also, so I don't know.
3: Her character is so strange, yeah. And uh, I don't know
4: How about GI Jane.
2: GI Jane is better than this movie by a long okay, shot. You, okay. And GI Jane <laughs> is so dumb.
3: Wow. <laughs> I was gonna. Okay, I will give this movie credit on one thing. The opening sequence, which is like this fake commercial, is yeah, really funny. That's funny. It's really funny. And I would watch that just like as a standalone YouTube video or yeah. something. I mean,
2: I'm going to minorly spoil this movie, hoping that our audience trusts us and aren't you going to C listen word. to it. Um, ooh, I'm not going to use the C word. I don't no, know. the... the, the <laughs> Not- I'll, let, I'll let you use the c word. After. I just want. I'm going to just say very briefly, 20 second spoiler. Uh, they have to eat Ed Helms, and that to me was the funniest part of the movie. Like to me, that was was funny. Um, that was the
3: c word I was looking for: cannibalism.
2: Okay, cannibalism. Right, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And and so when Ed Helms comes back in like a fever dream later, as dead Ed Helms, and his his face is just covered with. Pepperoni, pepperoni, and his body's covered with sausages. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> anyway. Oh, dear. Skip corporate animals, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Unless you just love really silly comedy. Yeah. Okay, so the one that I really wanted to hear about, because I've been hearing crazy things about this movie, like I've been hearing some of the highest praise of the festival for the next film, and so I'm really curious to hear if you liked it or not, King, and It's called I Am Mother, as I understand it, an AI- sci-fi film uh, starring Hilary Swink, so take it away with I Am Mother.
3: Yeah, and I'll tell you right out the gate, I'm totally in agreement with that praise. I think it, this is a really strong film. One of my favorite sci-fis I've seen in a while. Um, cool. So, this takes place, it's a post-apocalyptic future, and a lot of the details are spared from you. Basically, we're in this uh, this bunker beneath the Earth's surface, surface, so the synopsis says, And um, there is a... um, Humanity has created this bunker as sort of a second chance for humanity, and it's filled with tens of thousands of human embryos that are kind of frozen in there. Hmm. And uh, there is a robot in there uh, that is referred to as Mother that um, raises, starts to raise these embryos one at a time. And the robot
2: looks a little chappy-esque for... Our listeners, at least from what I've seen from the press sure. materials,
3: yeah, and it it's it's refreshing because it's it's clearly a person in a costume situation with some cool. animatronics. It's you know it feels good, old-fashioned, simple sci-fi. Yeah. It's, um, but anyway, so it's it's kind of got a room at. Feel to it because it's this child being raised in complete isolation.
2: Yeah, no, that's not Tommy Wiseau's *The Room*. In, correct,
3: right? But We're talking about the Academy Award-nominated film <laughs> right. *Room*. Um, and uh, yeah, so this child is just raised by this robot. Uh, refers to it as mother, and this bunker is all she knows. She's being schooled in there by the robot, and uh, uh, the robot tells her the story that humanity's been wiped out. By this micro organism, a contagious thing, and uh, they're the second chance for humanity. Hmm. And that story is working well until a wounded Hillary Swank shows up at the door outside.
2: Interesting. Maybe
3: he's putting some cracks in that story that Mother has told.
2: Interesting. Ooh.
3: So basically, you're dealing with a three-character story in a really tight area. It has the claustrophobia of a film like Alien, but it has a lot of the mind trippiness of a movie like Ex Machina.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, and I've heard people say Terminator. Is that a reasonable comparison or no?
3: Lightly. Okay. I would say lightly. I don't think there's that level of badassery in this movie for sure, Um, but it's really compelling. I don't think there's a moment in this movie that's dull. I think it goes in directions that will surprise people. And somehow it really pulls off a really satisfying ending.
2: So you said that The Lodge would be... You ticked off all these boxes for me. It might, might be my kind of movie. Uh-huh. If I were to go to more films today, which I'm still undecided on, uh-huh. um, my choices are between I Am Mother and The Lodge. And so I'm wondering, uh, are both of these films, do you think, going to be widely available for... The- for audiences, or is one that I maybe have a better chance of catching in theaters later on than the other?
3: Wow, um, I would say I'd say I Am Mother has a greater chance of theatrical release as far as getting wide release. I think it is the better film of the two. Uh, wow, uh, The Lodge I had problems with, but I think I can attribute a lot of that to Sundance itis where I just my standards are too high and it just didn't sure. it didn't quite you know rise to the level I heard some people that really like the lodge if I were you honestly I think I am mother is the experience to go for okay and and, and the lodge, in terms of
2: horror oh in terms of horror is there a horror element to this maybe on the ex machina yes okay
3: yes there's a there's a twinge of horror to this in in that ex machina style so okay some good suspense I, that's a really hard thing to pit against each other because I Am Mother is the better film. Right. But The Lodge is also speaks to our sensibilities as horror fans right. and uh, other things.
2: Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I, thanks for talking about that one, Kagan.
3: Yeah, highly recommended. Excellent. Okay. I uh, hope the audience isn't getting too sick of me just yet. I'm going to talk really briefly about the other Blumhouse film at the festival called Relive
2: okay yeah not a horror film I understand
3: yeah it says so on IMDB that it is um, and in
2: fact the Blumhouse uh, publicist told me it was horror as well I believe so sure
3: and and I and I that might be something they're doing to try and tap into their core audience uh, but this is a crime thriller okay through and through and I'm a person who silence of the Lambs is in my top 10 okay. horror films so I'm pretty inclusive about crime films being horror gotcha this is not horror film this is a crime thriller with a sci-fi element it's not Pleasure. a spoiler to say uh, but basically the story is about an uncle who is a detective and uh, his niece who he has a close relationship to and uh, the nieces family father and mother right and the uh, the the niece and her parents are found dead in this violent crime at their house Um, And shortly after, there's some sort of, there's a sort of time connection between the niece and the detective uncle. So, but in this case, it's a a two-week gap. So they can talk to each other on on their cell phones, but he's talking to the niece two weeks before... uh, well, it's two weeks earlier than him, but it's only a few days before she's about to get murdered. Okay. When the connection, so yeah. they're trying to solve this case. And if this sounds familiar to you, it's because it's quite nearly the same plot as Frequency, uh-huh. the which is a feature film that was then turned into a a streaming series. Okay. Uh, I believe a ten episode or so streaming series. I don't so okay, we knew that. Okay. Yeah. So Frequency is about a, a girl who's father i believe dies in some who's a detective who dies in some accident and they're able to talk to each other across time with this radio that they have and they're trying to solve his murder and how it happens so (laughs) it's kind of gutsy that they took this plot that's already been done Mm -hmm. and just slightly made it different but this is a this is a well-done film okay i think the mystery is interesting it's a little long for me for what it is it's about it's about 100 minutes um not terribly long but um
2: mm-hmm. overstays its welcome maybe overstays
3: a bit. its welcome a little bit uh it has a few good twists in it that you might not expect uh i, I it doesn't feel like a blumhouse movie to me Interesting. oddly enough it feels it feels like some other crime thriller hmm. so i'm uh, still
2: interested in it but that that's disappointing to hear
3: yeah it's it's well done. It's just Which not... Especially was
2: since wasn't it in the... Oh, I was in the premieres category. Okay. That's right. So not the dramatic competition, but...
3: And you want to talk about, like, being suckered twice in a night. I saw Corporate <laughs> Animals followed by Relive yesterday, yeah. thinking I was going to two horror films, and neither of them <laughs> are.
2: Yeah, so my other suckered film was Velvet Buzzsaw, and while I would consider it lightly horror... In terms of classification, I think it's more a satire with horror elements. It's hard to say because the drive of the film is ho- is a horror film. Like the entire plot of the film is from a horror film, but the movie spends most of its time sending up the fine art world. You know, it's a uh, it, kind of
3: like it, Neon Demon or something like that.
2: I would say Neon Demon feels far more like a horror movie than this does. Okay. But yeah, it's similar in terms of the vibe. This does not have the tone of Neon Demon. This is um, borderline comedy drama about Jake Hall's character who is a art critic and he's dealing with Rene Russo and Tony Collette who are uh, people who are art buyers and work for different studios mm. and he's falling in love with a young lady who works at um, one of the art studios and... It's weird because you kind of do go through the film feeling like Hall's your main character, but he really isn't the main actor in terms of action in the film. And he also... The film doesn't really resolve with his storyline being the most important element. So... It, it is weird the way that the cast is used, I would say, to some where, degree. Where does the
6: horror come from in this?
2: So what you have is a young the young lady that Jillian Hall's fallen in love with and it's interesting because Gyllenhaal Hall does play a gay man who has fallen for this young woman. And so he's in this romantically. long romantically and he's or in part. this long term relationship with his boyfriend mm-hmm. and then finds himself having these dalliances with this young lady because they travel around to different art shows around the country. Um, and he's he's there as a critic, and she's there working for one of the art buyers. And so then they they continually have kind of these romantic interludes when they're around the country. And you find out things about his relationship that explain, I guess, where his boyfriend's coming from on it, but that would be a spoiler, so I'm not going to get into that. But from Gyllenhaal's perspective, I think the point of it is to say he doesn't know what he... Likes anymore. Oh wow! He's a art critic dealing uh-huh. with his loss of perspective, He's trying to find his and sexual identity y- again. Or well, something. Yeah, but I mean, I think I think that's just a minor undertone. It doesn't okay. it doesn't deal with that as a main plot point. Other than I think as a cr- film as a art critic, he doesn't know what he likes. Okay, and I think that I think the sexual storyline is just meant to further show this is a guy who has said he's all about one thing his whole life and okay. that, but his actions are kind of not representative of that does that make any sense Sure. yeah so it's it a, does. It, i thought it was but i did think it was a really weird choice uh-huh. um, in terms of how to handle his character i think but it, yeah i think the only I explanation i could come up with for it is it's intended to show that in all aspects of his life he doesn't He's lost his He doesn't his know what he wants and he he does, He's lost Yeah, and also He's just lost his identity Of who he has always Seen himself as Uh-huh
3: You know I could identify that as, With that as being horrifying Yeah, for sure, absolutely You know
2: So um, This is directed by Dan Gilroy And written by Dan Gilroy and Who I love Dan Gilroy Yeah, who first Kind of made his Bones as uh, Was it The, the Born movies Yes And then later directed Night Crawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, which, which, is great. which is fantastic and far better movie than this, in my opinion. Um, in this one, sorry, and I still haven't gotten to the horror, the actual horror. Um, this young woman that Gyllenhaal's having a uh, relationship with, Josephina, she lives in a part in an apartment by herself, and she finds an old man dead in her apartment building, mm-hmm. and finds out from the people who own the building that everything in his apartment's going to be thrown out including his cat so she decides she'll go up and try to rescue the cat okay. and when she goes into his apartment she finds it's just filled to the brim with outsider art that he's um, this master artist but from an outsider perspective like nothing that would be classically recognized as high quality but just mind blowing and everyone who sees it goes into a trance like it's like the most amazing thing they've ever seen and uh-huh. it's like almost a supernatural-esque trance. absolutely a supernatural uh, i love trance. that and then the thing i can compare it to most in that sense would be the devil's candy the uh-huh. ethan ethan oh, embry's character interacts with his paintings yeah I think that's the far better film than Velvet Buzz saw. Sure. The other thing that this really reminded me of is Ghostbusters 2 with Vigo, <laughs> the guy who's living in the painting. Uh-huh. There's a lot of Vigo in this movie. Uh-huh. Okay. And, um, and basically, what happens is this young woman cleans out this guy's apartment, mm-hmm. takes it to her gallery owner, is like, look what I have. And it becomes that's really the thrust of the film is seeing how they exploit art. For the masses and how they kind of all make their money off the back of this guy who's dead and whose final wish was that his art be destroyed, and the whole, and then they really do start being knocked off one by one in a in a slasher kind of way, directly related to the paintings. Um, I'm. F- I'm and really. And it feels like identity, like the film, like like it kind of reminds me of that movie Identity with yeah. John Cusack a little yeah. bit in terms of the kills. I would say the kills are the worst part of the film. Okay, they're done really poorly, and they they feel like someone who doesn't know the horror genre at all is doing them. They just feel so cliche, and, and Dan Gilroy doesn't
3: seem like a, a horror aficionado. Which is weird
2: because I feel like Nightcrawler deals with so much real life horror and is just devastating. I think that's because he
3: approached that with total realism. Yeah,
2: and I think because. Of the lampooning that's going on here with regard to the art world. Mm -hmm. I think it just feels arch and kind of phony throughout. And I think it's intended to. I think that's what they want. They want this to feel like a circus, like ridiculous. Yeah. And over the top. But then I think the problem with that is it maybe doesn't land for Uh, me in in the horror way. But it's a decent decent film. Um, Natalie Dyer from Stranger Things is in this. Nancy, which I was... Glad to see her in a film, and I thought she did a great job. She was maybe my favorite part of it. Um, John Malkovich plays an artist in this, and is very oh, wow. good. David Diggs is, plays an artist in this, this is very good. Um, Tony Collette is fine; she's always good, but she doesn't have a ton to do. Right. Same with Renee Russo; she's always good, but doesn't.
3: Have- Tony Collette's either at a six or an eleven.
2: Right, and then she she's she's at eleven, but just not. She's just not in the movie a lot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, and same with Jake Gyllenhaal. I think yeah. he—they both actually go back and forth from that six to eleven within the course uh-huh. of this movie. But anyway, so I'm still
3: interested in it. Oh, and
2: I'm not—I'm not, I'm not yeah. dissuading people from it. I just think if you're not interested in a satire about the about the fine art world, yeah, you're gonna not enjoy this because that is the majority of the film. And again, the. The evil painting is what the main thrust of everything is. It just doesn't feel like a horror movie to me, okay. most of the time. Mm-hmm. And the actual kills are the weak points yeah. for me. Like I, I, was really enjoying the art criticism world. Like that was my favorite part of the film. The horror stuff I was kind of like,
3: nah, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, well, I'm still interested. I mean, I, like, I even think even about the
2: people just died in some and we mysterious didn't way see the kills uh-huh. i would have preferred that because that okay. even okay. even the scariness around the painting was fun for me but um the cgi effects the way that the kills are executed oh no. i was just just kind of and just so overdone i don't know so i i, I suspect a lot of people will be talking about the film but i also suspect a lot of Hardcore horror fans aren't going to relate to the main world of the movie sure. very much. Sure, and it's a little—it's very cartoonish.
3: Even though it's, you say it's totally different in tone than something like the Neon Demon. Yeah. I think the Neon Demon really struggled to find an audience with some horror fans because yeah. how ingrained it was, like in the fashion world,
2: and people who like Neon Demon may. Enjoy this too, but Neon Demon to me has so much more style and dr- yeah. an overall dread than this film did. Yeah, there's a good deal of dread uh, in the latter half of the movie, but just so much of it is kind of making fun of art people and critics and artists, and particularly yeah. the people who profit from art. Yeah, um, there's a it has a lot to say about how artists approach their work, what the value of criticism is what the values of the industry based around art are. And so it's interesting on those levels. And that's the part of the movie I liked, but the horror part, I just wasn't a fan of. So. Right. But anyway, so again, I left the theater and then I found out, I heard people on the bus saying, oh yeah, Velvet Buzzsaw is coming out on Netflix in, in half an hour. And yeah. I just said, oh, I just, what? Yeah. Could have seen Wounds. So, um, <laughs> anyway, this one is currently available on Netflix. and That's I, a positive for the listeners, right? Yeah, and I don't know that I'll be reviewing this one on the show again, so I, I maybe we'll just give my rating and review this one right now. Sure. Um, I'm going to call it a 7.5 and a low-priority rental.
3: Okay. All right. That's probably how I treat it, too. Okay. Aces for the title though Cool title Absolutely cool It sounds cool like a title. Michelle Gondry movie It's based
2: Do you want me to tell you where it comes from? It's not like a spoiler necessarily but tell, It's go based ahead. on a, a punk band That Rene Russo's character was in when she started out in the art world in
3: the 80s That's a killer punk band name yeah, too Really oh, cool yeah, I love it
2: Doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the film Okay,
3: alright Although Right on
2: I don't know Yeah, maybe metaphorically
3: Uh-huh Sure
2: Oh. Okay, so that's it for me um, in terms of Sundance. We, William and I did see a couple things at Slam Dance. Did you have any more horror-adjacent films the audience should know about, Kagan?
3: Uh, do you think I should talk about Hell, Satan?
2: Sure, yeah, absolutely. That was one I was going to try to see, but just didn't.
3: Yeah, okay. It was actually technically in the Midnight category. It oh, was, was it? Yeah, it was a documentary in the Midnight category. I'm almost 100% sure. I me... did
2: not see it in there, I will say. I think I saw it in the... Competition documentary category.
3: But. Okay, maybe I'm a liar.
2: Wouldn't be the first time.
3: Maybe, yeah, you know. <laughs> you can't trust me with anything. Wait,
2: I did see that you said that this was kind of terrifying. Yes, Is that Josh. Horror? I would like
3: to. Yes. Okay. I would like to have a deeper conversation with you about. Don't hug me. I'm scared. At some point. Okay, let's do a I special. want Yeah, like. I want to like make a big donation and have you guys do a an episode Perfect. of my choosing. <laughs> Let's
2: do it. We do okay. have a At Your Mercy episode coming up very soon. So. Ooh,
3: yes. Oh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Okay. I met the directors, too. Oh, really? All okay. three of them. Cool. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Let's do it. Life-affirming moment. So I'm going to talk about Hail Satan, which is a documentary about—
2: But isn't it isn't actually pronounced Hail Satan?
3: Oh, yeah, it's got a question mark at the end. <laughs> at the end. Hail Satan? There we go. Well, I was saying, does the inflection go on the first word or the second one? Oh, Hail Satan. Sorry. <laughs> that's so dumb. Um, so, yeah, Hail Satan is a documentary about the Satanic Temple. And uh, so a lot of people may be very, just because of, uh, only culturally aware of what Satanism is. It's not a very old sort of r- religion, we'll say. Uh, It started with Anton LaVey back about maybe 50 or so years ago.
2: Yeah, and I only recently learned from our listener, Allison with a Y, when she was on to talk about the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, that there's actually even a difference between the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple.
3: That's absolutely correct. So... They say t- the Satanic Temple has uh, Satan as you know a figurehead uh, for their for the religious aspect, but it kind of represents them more as kind of the um, the opposition, you know, this more symbolic thing. And a lot of right. people who are Satanists, well, are in the Satanic Temple, are atheists.
2: It's a it's an activist organization. It's more
3: of a political activist organization, and the idea of it is that. We live in this predominantly Christian nation where that influences a lot of our policy, our government, and you know lawmaking. And so the church, well, the Satanic temple is basically saying if you're going to be inclusive of one religion in government, you have to be inclusive of all of them. And so that there's a lot of lobbying to get where they say, well, yeah, if you want the Ten Commandments uh, at the Capitol steps, then you also have to put Baphomet there too. That's hilarious. And uh, note on the Adventures of Sabrina—that's what the show is called, right?
2: Yeah, and I um, say this with all respect to Christianity, but I do—you th- know—as uh, people who respect uh, the separation of church and state, they, they make a very strong case, in my opinion. Like they that's do a very legitimate point of view.
3: Yes, they make a point that sometimes tolerance only goes so far as convenience. You right. know, which and can be
2: said for all political persuasions as well. Absolutely, yeah. So, the chilling adventures of
3: Sabrina—they actually have the exact Satanic Temple statue of Baphomet in right. the show, and the Satanic Temple actually sued the show because they used it without permission. Right. <laughs> um, that was the
2: context through which I heard about this stuff. Yeah.
3: Yes. So in Oklahoma, I believe the Satanic te- Temple was successfully able to get a Ten Commandments monument removed from state property Interesting. with this threat of putting a statue of Baphomet. and uh, that. So this documentary covers the various uh, uh, things that this group is doing across the country uh, and the world. I see. Uh, in, including, I mean, their first big thing was when Rick Scott they they announced their support for Rick Scott because he wanted to allow prayer in school again, and right. so the Satanic Temple said, "We love that. We're all behind it. We're going to let our kids have Satanic prayer in school as well." well
2: very subversive. <laughs> very
3: subversive, and uh, it is deeply offensive to a good many people. I can
2: imagine. Yeah, yeah. Our Christian and, listeners out there, but and, and I'll say
3: we didn't bring this up for the political reason. I think I think that um, horror the horror genre and horror fans typically have been part of a counterculture that isn't necessarily identified by the mainstream. And, sure. And Satanists are definitely into something that is darker. And yeah. and the people in the Satanic Temple are interested in, you know, black mass and rituals and stuff like that. Oh, they are. A little bit, That's but more as a demonstration. I mean,
2: I thought I thought it was interesting with the whole Sabrina controversy that they said, look, we don't really want to be identified with Witchcraft and Satanism (laughs) We're not about that We're about about Fairness along the political spectrum So I kind of was thinking of it From that angle It's like No we're actually not into That stuff
3: uh, So Yeah So they They do some of those things But it's more of a symbolic gesture Than anything Yeah Beware if you're devoutly religious, and it could be offensive to some mm-hmm. people. Uh, the only criticism I'll give it is it, this does suffer a little bit from the uh, encyclopedia-esque
6: uh, doc-, doc style. Yeah.
3: There's nothing really groundbreaking about the filmmaking style. Mm-hmm. It's just a really good, informative piece of filmmaking. So okay. I, I would recommend it for anybody who's fascinated by this um, and is interested in this totally different culture that you may not be familiar with right um, yeah I, I definitely recommend it um, cool. anybody who likes documentaries and awesome weird stuff
2: okay well um, William and I saw two films at Slamdance that were neither were horror films um, but also maybe just worth briefly mentioning we're running a little bit long so we'll just briefly mention them and whether we think people should check them out I guess but uh, first up would be The Vast of Night. Okay, set at the dawn of the space race, over the course of one night in 1950s New Mexico, a young switchboard operator and a radio DJ uncover a strange frequency that could change their lives, their small town, and all of Earth forever. This is written and directed by Andrew Patterson, and it stars two excellent young actors, Jake Horowitz as kind of our lead protagonist, and Sierra McCormick as um, a young lady, like a 16-year-old high school girl who accompanies him on his mission. Now she is the switchboard operator from the um, description, and he is the DJ at the local radio station, who's also broadcasting the local basketball game. So what you have happening here is this big, the the big game is happening in town at the local basketball. Um, court and the two people who basically have the highest forms of technology of this era start picking up these crazy sound radio signals via the technology and kind of go on this investigation to figure out what's causing it. Their initial assumption it's the Russians.
4: Yeah, There's a signal they pick up and they don't know what it is and what I love about it probably just because Considering myself a storyteller and a podcaster, it, these characters are like, this is so exciting. This is a good story. Yeah, and right. it's kind of innocent and fun. Yeah, right. And I would say even you and I, maybe obviously to a much lesser extent, but we we worked on a documentary together where it wasn't innocent necessarily, but we set out to do one thing, and a year and a half in, it exploded. <laughs> And it turned into something totally different. Right. So I'm, I not only am responding to that aspect of storytelling, which I, I love and have lived, but I also, um, when I started in film, well, both of us, we started in art and the art design of this movie and the props are amazing. And I wanted to just, like, go on set and just start clicking everything and playing with everything. It would
2: have been impressive for, like, a $300 million studio movie. The fact that this was an indie movie, first-time filmmaker at Slam Dance, was like, how in the world did they pull this movie off? And you know. it turns out, through a lot of help from the local community in Texas where they shot the film, a lot of help from local museums and collectors, but it is perfect in terms of its um, I've never seen anything like this in an indie film that gets a period piece so perfectly.
4: Yeah, and we're talking, you know the fifth the old school, you know um, Record how they recorded how radio was done, right? um, How processes? Yeah, and even like how phones were functioning, you know people don't maybe they Understand the general idea maybe that they've seen it, but you know, this is how the world worked and it was the future you right. know,
2: it was the height of technology at the time the director talked about in the Q&A that the actor who played the DJ they got him an old reel-to-reel tape recorder and put it in his hotel room and the actress who ran the switchboard they put an old actual switchboard in her hotel room and they would practice at night yeah. and that he said if you were to watch this anyone who was alive then and knows how a switchboard works she doesn't make one mistake in terms of Actually operating this properly, like which is just I don't know, that's not like maybe amazing to everyone, but for me, I was just for a film of this budget because because of other reasons, you would think well, the budget for this film had to be like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something, you know. But the production values and details like that are just shockingly impressive. For it gives
4: it like an authentic feel. Um, it sets the stage, you feel like you're there, and then of course where the story goes, the mystery unravels, and also what I I loved about it, I don't see. I don't think this is a spoiler, but you know, at the time this is a small town in New Mexico, right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, right. So, you know, the, the, and it's a high school basketball game. I had assumed
2: game. it was Oklahoma for some reason the whole time.
4: No, I think it's New Mexico. But it yeah. is, yeah, according
2: yeah. to IMDb, it's set in New Mexico. Right? Oh
4: but you know like the high school basketball game is the bees knees as they say and the whole town is there and so i love the plot device of putting the whole town in one building with a few characters that that still have to like keep the town running a little bit or the, the media yeah. and then have a mystery unfold with them and so again like i don't think it's spoiler but when the town comes out of that their own fantasy their little sports fantasy they have to enter into the real world and catch up to what was actually going on. Right. And, and I that, think that's awesome.
2: I would relate that part to maybe like the faculty, how everyone's at the football game at night and the small group of outsiders are running around dealing with world ending consequences. Right. But this is, feels even more small and isolated than that. It's, I don't know, it, was, it was so effective emotionally. I was knocked out by this. And yeah, it, it has the feeling and the innocence as william said of like a 50s sci-fi movie you what's know. this called again the vast of night yeah it's really good sounds really interesting it, i really enjoyed it in the beginning opening scene there were things I would cut and there were things i wish you could give them budget to go shoot like because they shot the whole thing in 17 days i wish you could say like here's like a million dollars go shoot for four more days or something because i right. think it does have some weaknesses just due to the budgetary constraints mostly I'm assuming some of them were artistic choices and it's very bold in terms of the artistic choices maybe a little too bold I, I think for general audiences but I still for the most part really appreciated what they did and again in terms of the budget that they must have had to to pull it off
3: now, uh, do our distributors in the audience at Slam Dance as well? Ryan Turk
2: from Blumhouse was at the screening that we were at. Great, um, nice. I don't think this is a Blumhouse type of film that they would take sure. a risk on.
3: It's an A twenty four type of film, maybe more maybe. so. Yeah. But
2: like, honestly, I would just wish like I wish someone would swoop in and give so these kids five hundred thousand dollars to go shoot a couple more scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, to you, fix. Just,
4: you just cut their reshoots in half.
2: Well. Back. I'm just trying to make it a little more realistic. Somebody out there, please, help these kids out. They they made a really amazingly unique film. Oh, what I was going to say though in terms of maybe being a little bit too bold William liked it. I, I felt like I could have lost a couple of minutes in the edit. Um, the entire first segment of the film is in one shot and it's Robert Altman style dialogue as you mentioned earlier where it's just like everyone's talking over each other. The main character has a cigarette in his mouth. You can understand like a quarter of what he's saying during the opening scene. So I felt like it was a little bit off-putting that how, early how in. How
3: long is the shot? What are we talking about?
2: What is that scene? Maybe six? 7, 8 minutes. Between
4: 6 and 10. And it's mm-hmm. like
2: all on like steadicam like following these characters around from behind them. You can't even see their faces or mouths and they're just like mumbling. That's risky. Yeah, very risky. And I think the film does better than that when it gets into the movie and I think uh-huh. you almost could have pulled off a scene like that three scenes in and it would have worked because you would have been so invested but it was hard for me to get invested initially. But later on in the movie they do, it's cool because they oscillate between Huge moving shots that literally they did a shot that was a mile long, in terms of distance of a steady cam shot, wow. and then another shot that where it'll be a like a five-page dialogue scene with camera completely on sticks, doesn't move, doesn't even give you like a close-up or like other angle. Single on the take too. Single take, but not even like uh, not even just getting to, just like a profile shot.
3: I love that. So it was pretty. I love that.
2: It was pretty ballsy, pretty bold. Yeah. Hey,
3: um, go big or go home. Sometimes you only get to make one feature. Yeah,
2: and so I thought, I was really impressed, and I hope he gets to make more films, and I hope that um, he gets a little bit more budget to realize his vision, because I thought it was a great science fiction film.
4: Yeah, it's awesome. It's really good. I recommend it. I don't know where this will find its place. An audience. Yeah, it's going to have a
2: hard time. Unless, again, unless someone swoops in to help them out with reshoots, I think this is probably most likely going to be like on Amazon Prime eventually.
6: Okay.
4: So, yeah.
2: But yeah, um, not a whole lot of alien action. So, in fact, I don't know that I don't know that you ever really see any alien action, so very mild in terms of this particular audience we're speaking to. But if you like science fiction, worth checking out for a PSA horror adjacent. And the other one, just very briefly. Wait, I just yeah, want to mention.
4: Ahead. I mean, when you when you were saying alien action, I was trying to think of that. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't. It's not even trying to be an alien action. And then I was like, oh yeah, clearly it's it's trying to be an episode of of Twilight Zone. Right. Right. So if you like Twilight Zone mystery unfolding. That is literally what it's trying to be, and I think it does a very good job at that. I think it executed that perfectly for, for an independent film, you know?
2: Yeah. This next movie, I think, will get a little bit more exposure. I'm, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but um, it's called Lost Holiday, and it's about some people who basically go to get some drugs on Christmas and then find themselves embroiled in a thriller mystery. Um, it stars um, Emily Mortimer uh, and Joshua Leonard um, from Blair Witch Project fame, William Jackson Harper, who was in They Remain last year that we reviewed on the show, but is also well known for the television series, um, The Good Place. And yeah, it's, uh, it's one that you're going to see probably on our Christmas episode next year. So. I quite enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it definitely has like that indie feel of something that basically that you would see Joshua Leonard in normally. <laughs> you
3: okay. Know. Um, I'm actually really not too familiar with his filmography. Oh, really?
2: I love Joshua Leonard. I mean, he's mostly, other than Blair Witch Project... He didn't work for a long time. And then he started po- popping up in Mumblecore movies. Okay, And my favorite of those being Hump Day with Mark Duplass. Yeah, yeah he's that's the, a good one. He's the other co-lead in that film.
3: Okay, yeah, Hump Day's great. Yeah,
2: so um, he was in uh, The Town of the Dreaded Sundown remake. Okay. He's in it kind of that's, brief, that, briefly. That, that's a fine little film. Yeah, but he's he's a good actor. I I really like him quite a bit. Yeah. Um, let's see what other. Unsane last year. I haven't seen he that. I really in, want to. Yeah, Togetherness, the television series, If I Stay, that film. But, um, oh, and then the other person of note who uh, we absolutely have to mention was involved with in this because he was also one of the co directors is um, Thomas Matthews. He's an actor and uh, director, and he's best known for a film that he did a couple years ago that's been on the. Film festival circuit as of late, which um, I'm blanking on the name and can't find it online. But anyway, Lost Holiday. Keep an eye out for it. It's a it's a little mystery. It takes place in Washington D.C. at Christmas time, and it's interesting. Okay, I would like to cover it on our Christmas episode if other people agree that yeah. it meets the criteria of horror. So, sure. I mean, it's it's a pr- stretch to call it horror. Sure, but okay.
3: yeah, but at least you guys will you'll get to do the lodge. but but the horror well the Christmas elements in that are pretty light yeah I wish there was more all
2: right guys well that will do it for our Sundance and Slamdance coverage for 2019 Um, William also has an interview with one of the directors from Slamdance that will be on Movie Moments podcast what was that film called again
4: Uh, it was called Happy Face and it was a pleasure to interview the director and the co-writer and a couple of the stars and yeah so you can look forward to some movie you know film festival coverage on movie moments which i've never done yet so that'll be fun
2: as well as hole in the ground as we mentioned with lee cronin and i was there for that interview and he got completely different Content that we than we played today for our interview, so that's good.
4: That's because I put my hand on his softly on his knee while mm-hmm. we we're interviewing, yeah. and he opened right up. He was that really was. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah. And <laughs> sorry, I, my my brain went to bad jokes places, and I had to be like no moving on. <laughs> um. And I actually have contacted uh, the people from both Vast of Night and Lost Holiday to see about doing remote interviews now that the festival's winding down, so uh, if there's a place on the network where those fit well, then those interviews will pop up probably as well in uh, the next little while. So
3: Yeah, and tonight, tonight the only other thing, we, we tried our best to hit every horror film or horror-adjacent thing in the Sundance Film Festival, but... Some there's a chance we miss some stuff, and um, yeah. I'm I'm seeing the Midnight Shorts this evening. Cool tonight, so we'll see. I'm I'm curious to see how that goes because yeah, those will be either good or horrible.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, well, I missed the Ted Bundy movie while we were recording this, but I'm fine um, with that. Sorry. It'll, it'll be in theaters, I'm sure, and um, I may go and see either The Lodge or I Am Mother later today, so. Right on. We'll see, but anyway, yeah, that's that's it for our reporting from the twenty nineteen Sundance Film Festival, as well as Slam Dance to some degree. And we hope you guys enjoyed that. And now, Kagan and William, will you guys tell people where they can find your work online?
3: Uh, Sure. So you can find everything that I do from my website, which is kaganbreitenbach.com. That's Kagan And if you don't know how to spell that, just try your best and Google will help you. I'm the only (laughs) one. I'm the only one. So my website has links to all my social media, including Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, IMDb, YouTube, all the stuff.
2: Uh, It's great having a unique name, right?
3: Yeah. And we're going to... I'm hoping we have a Universal Monsters cast episode soon because... We have some huge news that came out, and I'm excited about yeah, it. Yep,
2: absolutely. And I got our, our malware issues dealt with. All of the old episodes are now re-uploaded and should be on iTunes soon. So uh, they are currently available at MonstersCast.Libsyn.com, but I ev- mm-hmm. will eventually reroute that to our original website domain.
3: Yeah, and if and if horror movie podcast listeners haven't listened to Universal Monsters Cast, that show's kind of a labor of love. love. We don't release episodes as frequently but when we do we put a ton of time into them yeah And, and
2: joel has recommitted himself he wants to do at least one every other month if not one every month so we'll be doing more of those soon
3: yeah
4: yeah um you can find more about me at movie moments podcast which is my podcast where it's usually me and one other guest we just choose a movie and we both separately like choose a moment that we want to discuss that means something to us and why. And if you just enter that in now to anything, right? I believe it's now on um, Spotify and Google Play and iTunes. And if you just Google it in whatever you listen to podcast, you will find it.
2: Yeah, I really recommend uh, Movie Moments podcast just as a listener. And I've been a guest as well. And I think we talked about horror movies actually when I was on at least one of the times. So uh, I would recommend people check that out. There are some fun interviews with people you would recognize from the podcast network, including Jay and Dave and Joel, too, right? So um, 28
4: Days Later, Jaws, John Carpenter's the thing. Jaws is coming out next. There's a lot of horror content. Yeah. Cool.
2: And there are some lots of changes happening in the network right now, but there's behind the scenes stuff happening with. William's other show, the sci-fi podcast, as well as he's been a co-host on movie streamcast and movie podcast weekly. So we don't know how everything's going to shake out at the moment, but I'm sure you'll be somewhere else on the network as well. Okay. (laughs) We'll see. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us guys. We appreciate all of your um, effort. And I know it wasn't only for this moment, but uh, it's greatly appreciated by the listeners and myself. So thank you. And we'll throw back to Joel and Dave, who have a lot more horror content for us.
0: Thank you to Josh and Kagan and William for that excellent Sundance slash slam dance coverage. At this point in the show, let's move into our shutter sponsored Screaming Online segment.
2: Okay, I know I said I was going to throw it back to Joel and Dave, but I wanted to first be here to tell all of our listeners who haven't tried it yet about Shudder. Shudder is a premium streaming video service that you can get for just $4.99 a month. It has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment that you can get right on your Apple or Android device, Xbox, Google Chromecast, and more. You get unlimited access, ad-free... Right now on Shudder you can get all kinds of horror titles that are exclusive to the service, including Rob Zombie's 31, Cold Hell, Downrange, Revenge and Ruin Me, all of which we've reviewed on the show, classics like Creepshow 2, and series like Wolf Creek the series from Greg McLean, as well as Dead Wax, which has been extremely popular, Channel Zero, which was recently cancelled by Sy-Fi, and now you can watch the whole series right on Shudder. And coming soon to Shudder, Horror Noir, The History of Black Representation in Horror Cinema. I'm super excited about Shudder. I hope you guys will all check it out. If you haven't, if you use our coupon code, you can extend their normal seven-day free trial to a 30-day free trial. And Joel's going to tell you all about that at the end of this segment. But first, Joel and Dave are going to bring you their own picks for the best movies currently streaming on Shudder. Guys, take it away.
0: All right, so here we are, Screaming
1: Online. So, Dave... What do we got? What are we doing? Well, I'm going to be talking about. We have a couple that we're going to be going over tonight. But the movie I watched is Cold Skin from 2017. And uh, just to give you a quick idea, I'm going to be reading this right from IMDb. In 1914, a young man arrives at a remote island near the Antarctic Circle to take the post of a weather observer, only to find himself trapped in a watchtower, besieged by deadly creatures which live in hiding on the island. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> and it kind of leaves out that there is already somebody living in the lighthouse, a fellow by the name of Gruner, uh, Ray Stevenson, who is familiar with these creatures that come out of the sea. They're not hiding on the island. There's not many places to hide on that island. Yeah. I just sort of picture them cowering behind trees and under rocks, and that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. These are creatures that live in the sea. And Gruner has a, a pet that lives with him, um, and we'll just leave that there for right now. Anyway, like I said, this movie is from 2017. It is a Shutter exclusive, and I have seen them doing some promotions for this. Uh, they've been showing trailers on Facebook, um, and that's where I first, you know, saw this, and it really got me excited. But I will advise most people uh, do not look at the trailer for Cold Skin mm-hmm. because it gives you it will it is misleading. I liked the movie, I really did, but it's not what you see in the trailer, the trailer has it. uh, If I were to compare cold skin to another movie, it would be for several reasons, the shape of water, Uh, both in, uh, you know, the, the style of the creatures, uh, you know, from, from the water and also in the tone and the approach uh, to a degree. So it's more of a love story
0: in in a Uh, sense, or a romantic story with maybe fantastical,
1: it it and has it's, it's got more it. like more it's got it's dramatic scenes. Now it has some very intense scenes. I mm-hmm. mean, there are some battles, um, you know, fought when the creatures are attacking and they're attacking the light tower, and it does have some, uh, you know, some creepy moments in it as well. But this is not a straight up scare you start to finish horror movie. It's just not. As a matter of fact, it like I said, it's more along the lines of something like The Shape of Water. Now The Shape of Water. Is a great movie. And Cold Skin uh, is, it, it approaches that. One thing I really liked about the movie was the way that they were able to make it feel like it was actually 1914. Mm-hmm. And they did that very convincingly. Uh, I love the setting on this island. I really did. And the look of the creatures is, is, you know, impressive. It really is. The performances are strong, especially by Ray Stevenson as Gruner. Uh, and it's another one of those movies, like like the Shape of water, it's like who is the who's really the monster? Mm-hmm. You know, without going too deep into the into uh, you know spoilers or anything. it's it's who's who is the monster here? If you like the shape of water, I think you're going to like cold skin as well. And I think cold skin is different because you get a lot of these creatures, all right? This is like this is like if in the shape of water they captured a colony. <laughs> <laughs> of this and brought it back for for study and like it, it does get exciting and it's very well shot it's really for me an impressive movie and there's a scene set underwater with what is that i don't know i i want a to say iron suit. lung, but i know I it's a, a, a diver, diver suit. suit yeah iron lung the I think old was kind for, it's kind of like with the yeah with
0: the you know of course it's they the had night- to pump air yes. into it and there's this big, big metal yes
1: yes that you know if the guy tripped and fell down he He's wasn't done. getting back He's up done. anytime soon yeah yeah but it's cool. It's and it's and it's. Uh, that's one of the the strongest scenes, and it happens to be done at the you know in the winter, which you know the they they get to that point in the story. He arrives in September, and then they get to that point where it's mostly night, uh, and that's when these creatures come out. Is is at night, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. Do you have anything you want to throw in there, Joel? Uh, yeah.
0: So I will say that I also. Saw cold skin and you covered it beautifully, so I don't want to go into any spoilers or anything else. But there were a couple of things that jumped out at me fairly early on is that there was a Lovecraftian vibe to it, at least at the beginning for me. The the sort of the the narration with mm-hmm. the, with this young man going through this this yes, isolated very... place and then a shadow over in's mouth kind of thing where yes. you yes. you know the the I feel like we're not giving anything away with that. I mean it's definitely in the trailer, but these humanoid fish type creatures. Um so But again, I want to reiterate what Dave said. The trailer is misleading. It's a great trailer, but it will give you the impression that the movie is something other than what it is. And I think as long as you go in with those expectations uh, where they should be, it's really an enjoyable movie in a lot of respects. And it's apparently based on a I believe it's a Spanish author it's a it's a novel from Spain i believe was one of the oh, okay. things that i i read about it um, and you get that sense nice. i think that there's a lot of moments in it where you know it's it's very character driven when you agree dave uh, even more than oh, plot definitely. i mean there's a plot to it but it's it's definitely, definitely. more of a character yes. piece and right. it, the way characters react and things you're you're meant to i believe insinuate and and sort of guess as to intention and motive and, and sort of fill in the blanks and, and surely surely in a novel, I'm sure there was a lot more uh, given, you know, from, from the sort of internal narrative of each character, but in the movie, you know, you you have to fill in those gaps and, and it works in a lot of ways. So, but yes. I, I loved the diving scene that you're referring to uh, the, the creatures. And honestly, I don't know what the overall budget was in this thing, but the, uh, the makeup effects on those things, that was incredible. Like it looked, because the, the, the just the eyelid, the double eyelid yes, thing,
1: that looked great. Absolutely. The, everything about them looked 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 great. And you get, I get the, uh, you know, you definitely feel as if it was practical effects. Yes. I mean, there was some CGI, I'm sure, uh, but whatever it was, I mean, and I don't know what the budget was on this. I can't imagine it's, it's not a big budget film, uh, but it was just enough to make it look, look very uh convincing it
0: looks like it was 8.5 million euros i do not have a currency calculator in front of me to, to tell you what well, that would translate to american yeah. but it's still Th- not that's usually
1: that's usually around the level that cgi just doesn't look that good mm-hmm. yeah. you know it looks a little bit wonky and and i didn't get that from this movie no maybe a, maybe a second viewing will will reveal some things but the first time through no it looked it looked it looked pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, it really did, and it really is a beautifully shot movie. Uh, it's it, like you said; they captured period wonderfully. That island, just the the craggy rocks, and it, it looks almost volcanic. This the the nature of the rock, and yes. I, don't, I don't know exactly. Did they say exactly where it was? Because I think in the book, one of the things I read in the trivia somewhere that I was I was doing some research on it, it said something to the effect of: in the book, it takes place. I think just. A little bit outside of Antarctica. Like it's close to that part of the
1: That's what that's what the IMDB description okay. that I read okay. mentioned was Antarctica. But they also said the creatures were hiding under rocks yes. on the island. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> yeah, don't know.
0: Yeah, I can't yeah, say yeah. for sure. Exactly exactly. So uh but yeah, I know I I'm right I'm right with you, man. I I agree that it is a beautifully shot film. I think if you're more in the mood for a drama fantasy with some horror elements to it. I think that's the key, and I, without giving anything away, I feel like that is what I would hope people go in as far as expectation goes. I think in it, if you go by the Imdaba uh, uh, Breakdown. You've got the under cold skin. It says adventure, horror, sci-fi. Eh, I, I, that might be a bit of a stretch, uh, but I think it's it's sci-fi
1: in the same way. Shape of Water was sci-fi. There you
0: go. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. If you lo- look, if you love Shape of Water, I think you'd really dig this movie. That's maybe the best way to say it. I think if you liked Shape Absolutely. of Water a lot, then you will you will like a lot of elements in this movie. That would be my guess.
1: And this one has maybe even a little. Well, no, Shape of Water had its had its moments of uh, of action and excitement as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, it's a little more violent. I yes, think yes. the confrontations yes. between the creatures and and man, and uh, you definitely get a feeling of that very early on.
0: Oh yeah, and just and and without giving it away, but the some of the opening sequences involving a character uh, being in, in a contained environment, and, and there's a bit of a siege element to it, was very well done. I thought that <laughs> oh, it was you know,
1: suspenseful.
0: It was it was excellent. So absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. So do you want to do you do you usually do a rating and recommendation this early on? Uh, I'm going to
1: give this a a 7.5 and I said uh, definitely stream it on Shudder. I am I am close to that.
0: I'm a seven on this one. And uh, I would also recommend that you uh, you stream this on Shudder and uh, let us know what you think about it. All right. So, Dave, are we ready to talk a little uh, still backslash born (laughs) let's get very let's get very specific about the type of slash that's in the title
1: yeah right backslash right
0: (laughs) so do you want to read the uh the mdba synopses or would you like me to do
1: it if if you don't mind doing it for this sure sure man
0: i am just going to randomly because there's a couple here they did that where there's somebody wasn't happy with the original so they redid it uh we got mary a new mother gives birth to twins but only one of them is alive while taking care of her living child adam she suspects that something a supernatural entity has chosen him and will stop at nothing to take him from her. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty, pretty accurate. That's
1: pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's that's good good.
0: without giving too much away. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. All right. So we've got stillborn. Now this was recommended to me uh, by uh, somebody you may know. Well, uh, Dave, Uh, his name is Dr. Shock. And (laughs) yeah. And and, uh, so I am thankful you did. And I intentionally, whereas with cold skin, I went in having seen the trailer I did not watch a trailer or anything about Stillboard. I just oh, nice. went, went right Excellent. into it. It, it, it. No pun intended. I went into it cold. So I, I didn't know exactly what to expect. I think I saw just a sentence or so that implied the idea of, okay, this mother begins to lose sort of her touch with reality and and, and that kind of thing. But I, I want to just kind of lay this out. <laughs> I only had the opportunity to watch it last night. And I did it, and I know it's heresy, what I'm about to say. I, I watched it on my phone. In my defense, oh, I have wow. a phone with a slightly larger screen. Because, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you know, it makes, such, it makes all the difference. That like half an inch right. makes such a difference. So, right. so, but I what I do is occasionally, because, you know, I don't want to wake my wife up. So I'm sitting there and I've got it sort of on my chest and I'll use the the blanket and kind of, you know, around the edges of it, like a little bit of a cave, like the entrance of a cave. And I, and I sort of sit there and, I, and I'll watch it and I got the headphones in. So wow. here's the thing. There's certain movies I would never do that with. It would be complete heresy, okay? I wouldn't do it with like Lawrence of Arabia, all right? I wouldn't do it. You know, any any big kind of movie that requires the truth, but there's some movies where there's yeah. something about watching it that way that I feel could even make it more effective because I'm going to tell you right now. There was at least three moments in this movie that scared the living crap out of me. Like yeah. I I actually I'm I'm pretty. I will say I'm jaded because I'm not jaded, but I mean I still get fa- affected by horror movies. But mm-hmm. I mean I've seen so many for so long in my whole life, and uh, I, I'm not. It's, I'm not wanting to be like I don't, I don't get scared by them. But it does take something extra, you know what I mean? And 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 especially with a jump right. scare, it's just, okay, it may make you you have that physiological reaction, but you don't, you know, get really affected. There is a moment, and all I'll say, and you'll know what I'm talking about, is video baby monitor. Oh, yes, and it's super fast, super fast, and I knew and I knew something' was gonna happen. I knew it, I knew something was gonna happen, dude, my whole body I got like this body chill thing that happened, and I had to like pause it, lay it down because it, when i when i when I hold my my phone in front of me like that under the bike, it makes everything in my peripheral just black. it's just darkness, right. so I just had that sense. Like there's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to pull back this blanket and there's going to be something standing there. I just know there's going to be something standing there. So it wow. was, It just freaked me. It just, I, and I don't, I, I, I cannot tell you the last time that I got that sort of creeped out by something I was watching. So thank you for that. That's Actually, it was, it was a nice little uh, jolt of adrenaline
1: at, you know, uh, 11 excellent. o'clock at yeah, night. You, that, this is, this is, yeah, I bet it was, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I probably would have, I probably would have put the phone down just kept yeah, the covers yeah, up. Yeah. And yeah said, done. The hell with done. It? <laughs> uh, But watching this movie, one of the things, and a lot of horror movies shoot for this, um, when it goes from day into night, you Mm -hmm. know, that's when you know something is going to happen. And a lot of horror movies do that. And uh, some movies do it okay, where you start to sort of dread the night. But in this movie, you dread the night. Every time it it, it turns, uh, you know, every time it's dark out, you know something is going to happen, and it's not going to be good and you know this is a movie where it's sort of it's it's a mystery because you're not really sure is it um the mother is it in her head is there really something going on and the movie has a very i know we're not going to give any of the ending away but it has a very strong ending Mm -hmm. that then gets stronger still
6: Mm -hmm.
1: by the time it, it uh it wraps up so I think you know this is one that stayed with me. I had watched this um you know when we were putting together our uh, our lists for the end of the year, and it was for a while it was on my honorable mentions yeah, um you know because it is one of those films that it really is very creepy, yeah. and they do make great use of that baby monitor, very interesting neighbor by the way who be who befriends the the yes. lead character, yes you kind of wonder what her story is. Yes. Yes. Um, And there's even an idea that uh, where, where the lead figures she's got to do something to save her child. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to go into that too much. No, but but. I will
0: say this movie had me believing it might go there. And
1: that was so good because, because,
0: and I won't say whether, where it goes or, or what happens, but I will say for a movie to set things up at a certain level to never, Feel, I mean, it does. I, I read something that somebody had written about it where they made the comment about it. it sort of rides this line between, you know, being a serious study of and I think we're not giving away anything away to say this is very similar to the Babadook in a lot of ways and is dealing right. with, in a sense, a lot of the horrors of what it might be like to go through postpartum depression and, and all the things that go along with that. I mean, it's definitely a, right. a common theme in this movie. and. I think it rides that line as this one person put about it between being a very uh, deep study of that and exploitation. Like you always kind of wonder, is it going to go too far? Mm-hmm. Is it going to just, right. is it going to just cross that line? And honestly, that's how really great horror movies are so effective is that yep. they make the whole time you're wondering, and that can be oftentimes where the most suspense comes from. You're like, I, I, I don't want to see, I don't want to see that. I don't. And it just, and it does all the way up to the end. I was wondering, I was like, oh my God, they're going to go there. <laughs> they're going right. to go there. Yeah. yeah. You got that feeling. You yes. really did. Yeah. It was highly effective. I agree with you. And then uh, uh, the Babadook, I think comparison is is apt and it's probably one that oh, I'm sure yeah. a lot of people yeah. have made. But the I also had shades of Rosemary's Baby because I felt like, and I know with the Babadook, you know, you had that concept of. You know, was it real? Was it all in her head? And this movie explores that as well. And I always love that in a a movie when you have that aspect of the, you know, can you really depend on this protagonist? Is this somebody who's are we getting the full picture here or is this all an imagined experience? But then I think of like Rosemary's baby and how Rosemary, nobody believes her. And nobody will listen to her, and she's you know all alone. She becomes more and more isolated, and just that that same sense that uh, Mary in this film has, and uh, yes. and so I I was I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie. I, I didn't. I'm not saying I went in with low <laughs> expectations, but I did had no expectations. I and and you said this recently. I think it was maybe it was the uh, winner. Uh, Stephen King part two Mm -hmm. where you made a comment about how you are going to become an advocate to not watching trailers anymore. And and as one who has spent so much of his life loving trailers, loving to watch them, getting excited about a movie coming out other than maybe a teaser. I am. I agree with you. I think I've noticed every movie I've experienced I've had that I have loved. I mean, I went into crying game, Cold, And I realize this is a horror movie podcast, so we won't wow. go down the down the road of a, of a drama about the IRA. But I'm just saying that movie, going in a movie like that cold is an amazing experience because you have no yeah. idea what you're getting, right? I mean, so, and I think of all usual suspects. I had no idea. And it's just, when I think about all the great movie experiences I've had where I just had no idea, it's because I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't do any research. I just went in cold. So right. I think I might uh, join the, the Dr. Shock, the no trailer before I watched the movie club. I guess the the main things I want to say is that it is a surprising experience, and if you go into it, uh, unexpected. You know, you don't realize other than you just know the basic premise. I think you will have a very good time with it. Uh, you know, as it says in the uh, MW ex- d- description, there a supernatural entity. So there is that, but it's one of those things where you know, is it, or, you know, you, you, you know, you have your questions and your quandaries. Right. Some of the way that things are depicted on that front are mm-hmm. familiar. I mean, if you've seen pretty much any horror movies in the last True. 10 years, there, there was it's a lot of breaking a lot of new ground in certain aspects. No, but what it is, is they take something familiar though, and it's the execution of those elements because actually another another movie that sprang to mind for me especially as it pertains to that video footage was like paranormal activity so it it just there's something Mm -hmm. about that and and that same feeling especially in the first paranormal activity you know when when you know you see a character in bed or whatever and then they get pulled like that moment or they're you see that thing that you're seeing that you you shouldn't be seeing because you're seeing it from that Fly on the wall point of view, and right, you're you're, you're right. being such a voyeur. You know, it's that same feeling in a sense. And, and when they shift in this movie, Stillborn, when they go from camera to camera, room to room, and there's nothing there, and there's nothing there, and then of course, you know, eventually there's going to be
1: something there. But there's going to be something yeah. there, right? Exactly. But this is not a found footage. Just so no, I mean, yeah, the, no, but. But yeah, that one sequence, yes, yes you're exactly
0: right. It had that vibe too. It. It's almost as if you did Paranormal Activity and just only part of the movie was found footage, and then they would shift back to, uh, you know, a yes. more traditionally made movie. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I honestly I recommend Stillborn highly. Um, do you want to you want to go into our ratings?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right.
0: So for me, I'm going to say an eight. This this movie is a solid eight. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. I would recommend that you stream it on Shudder ASAP. Uh, it is totally worth your time it's actually a very uh tight 87
1: minutes yep it's uh, it's a good good time i think you'll enjoy it i agree and i'm going to actually go come in with an aid as well and say it's definitely worth uh worth checking out um you know stream it on shutter and i'd really be interested if if anybody is is like a new mother and watches this movie uh the effect that it might have on them. I mean, we're coming at it from, you know, from obviously a horror fans point of view and and it's a scary movie and, and they they put the, they put it together really well. But I'd be really interested um if there are any new moms out there who who check this out and I'd like to I'd love to know their reactions to it.
0: Yeah, that's a real that's interesting. I think, you know, you have kids. Your kids are a little bit older than mine, I believe, Dave. Right, and so, yeah. but my kids are, you know, they're 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 past all the, all the baby stuff. I I think this movie, just even as a dad, if they, my kids were babies, it would have been mm-hmm. m- more difficult to watch for me.
1: Oh, I would I, I would think for yeah. me as well. Yeah, so I, I can
0: only imagine for a mother, it might even be amplified. Um, and because you know, the, at the end of the day, you have this experience that it gives the character. Is is something that uh, you know only women go through, and it's it's a it's a it's a serious thing. And like I said, it it could have slipped into being more exploitative, and right. it, it doesn't. I think it does ride that line pretty well. So it does. Yeah. I
1: mean, you, you it, it sort of teeters a few times, and yes. you think it's going to it's going to go that way, but um, no, I agree. Yeah. So. Definitely recommend uh,
0: Stillborn, and we're also recommending Cold Skin for uh, Shudder's Screaming Online. To try Shudder-free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use promo code HMP. Okay, that brings us to the end of our Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online segment. Now, at this point in the show,
1: we'll join Dr. Shock in the collector's crypt. All right. Today's collector's crypt. Um, it is from Arrow Video. And it is actually a, a Blu-ray that's coming out uh, in a couple weeks. Arrow was uh, nice enough to send us an advanced copy of this uh, to check it out. It is the Blu-ray of Takashi Miike's Audition. Uh, it got a new 2K restoration and a few extra features. It, it, keep, it keeps all of the old features. There's a commentary track uh, with uh, you know, with Takashi Miike and the screenwriter, uh, but there's a few additional special features that Arrow gives you, uh, you know, made especially for this release. Uh, I'm not going to go too much in the movie. I did talk about this movie already back in episode 121, and obviously, it's it's a strong recommendation for me. It's a buy it for me. I gave it a 9.5, and Jay of the Dead gave it a nine. So it's a strong buy. So if you want to hear what we have to say about the movie, you can go back to episode 121. And what I wanted to talk about, though, here are the additional bonus features that Arrow put together for this. Because I'm, I was really impressed with, with what they did. There, there were th- uh, three different ones. There's a, a new commentary track by uh, Tom Mess. He wrote a couple biographies of Takashi Mike, wrote a couple books on them and he it's it's a really strong commentary track he goes into the history of of japanese cinema at this time talking about how ringu uh was such a big success but it was banned in korea because korea had a ban at the time on on, um cultural items coming out of japan uh but then korea sort of joined forces and, and and helped put this movie uh, together helped you know uh, got behind audition you know put some money into it and the makers of audition they wanted it to be a different sort of horror movie they wanted to get somebody who was not known for horror and that's why they went with Takashi Miike. and uh, you know uh, uh, Tom Mace says uh, it might seem amazing now that Takashi Mike at one time was not known for horror but uh, he was not and that is the reason he got audition. He talks about a couple interesting things he brings up, and I'm only going to go into the first 15 minutes of, of this commentary. I'm not going to go beyond that because he gives, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in this commentary track. Uh, he talks about how the critics at the time uh, had more of a problem with the child abuse scenes than they did the ending of this movie. But most interesting of all, he references a... An essay uh, that had been written. He 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 brought up two people: Carol Clover and Linda Williams. And I believe I haven't looked up this essay, but I believe it was Linda Williams who wrote the essay.
0: Carol Clover wrote uh, "Men, Women, and Chainsaws," right? Oh yeah,
1: I believe so. Okay. Yeah, I, no, and I, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't mention that, but okay. that I think so. Um, he called them two academics, is what he, mm-hmm. he put them, sort of film academics, and uh, and Linda Williams. And what it is is um, they wrote an essay about. Body genres was something that uh, features sort of extreme, exaggerated uh, reactions that had a strong emotional impact, especially on women. And the three genres that they threw into this clump are not three you would think would normally go together. It was horror,
6: mm-hmm.
1: pornography, and melodrama. And I thought that that was enough for me to want to look up this essay and read it. I haven't done it yet. Uh, But those are three genres you would not think would normally go together. But that was because of the reactions, um, I guess, especially to the women characters in those films. Hmm. Uh, And it's a lot of very interesting, just interesting things like that that are brought up in this commentary. Uh, and I strongly recommend that if you get it, um, you know, it's, it's a little scholarly. It's along the lines of what you might get uh, from a criterion release. And, and it's, it's engaging to the point that, you know, you really are kind of waiting to hear what this guy's going to come up with next. I mean, it's a great commentary track. Um, in addition, there is a new interview with uh, Takashi Mike, who's always very forthcoming, very honest. And that runs for about 30 minutes. And then The third uh, item made especially for this is something called Damaged Romance and Appreciation uh, by Japanese cinema historian Tony Raines, where he goes into uh, uh, Takashi Miike's career, uh, how he he made a lot of these straight-to-video movies, and how in, you know, I think 95, he made his first sort of feature film. Uh, I think it was an action movie. And it was in 99 where he really put himself on the map. And it was funny because Tony Ray said he met uh, Takashi Mike around that time. And he had something like he was making five, six movies a year at that point. Wow. And he asked him, is there anything you don't turn down? And and, and he said, um, you know, Miike said to him, uh, yeah, there are things I don't turn down, but I try to keep working. I try to do as much as I can. But the script has to have something in there that I can sort of put myself into it, and I can sort of, re, you know, I can sort of uh, uh, explore it a little more mm-hmm. personally as a filmmaker. And I guess he found that with uh, with audition. Um, and again, audition itself is it's a, it's great to pick it up just for the movie. And Arrow does such a great job with these releases. I mean, one of the interviews, I love I love what they what they called it. I, I don't see it here. What I'm looking at. But they interviewed uh, the guy who was in the bag, mm-hmm. the actor who played the guy in the bag. Uh, and they had a kind of funny name for it. But anyway, um, and, uh, and when you get it, it, it comes with a reversible cover uh, with artwork, where does it say, by uh, Matthew Griffin. And for this first pressing only, they have an illustrated collector's booklet with new writings on the film by Anton Batel. Uh Joel, I don't know if you wanted to chime in about audition. I know you've seen this movie. Um no, Dave, I haven't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh so thanks for pointing that out. No, I I think I I Dave, Dave and I've had many many a discussion. So I I a lot of people listening, you know, probably don't know my uh, my horror bona fides, but uh I've been a horror fan a big chunk of my life, but I was a very sensitive kid, like highly sensitive. And so Certain horror movies freaked me out. I mean, I, like four years old, I saw the 1960s Devil Doll. Did you ever see that one, Dave? The one with Hugo, yes. the the mannequin, or it was like they they had like the uh, paper mache, you know, dummy head on the ventriloquist dummy, and and that movie traumatized me. I saw a creature feature with Dr. Paul Bear <laughs> traumatized me. I saw uh, at the time it was called Creepers. I saw Phenomena, the Dario Argento film, and I'm like eight because I thought my cousin said he had wow. read Critters, not Creepers. Uh-huh. Oops. So, so I, I've been nah. you know, exposed to horror for a very long time, but again, very sensitive kid. Uh, and as I've gotten older, I mean, as a probably way too young, I even, you know, would watch movies like I Spit on your grave and last house on the left. And so I'd seen a lot of those movies and I still love probably some movies that many in the, in the quote unquote mainstream would consider extreme, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and movies like that. I love those movies, but there are other movies where I, <laughs> I, I guess I know just enough about them and I'm like, eh, you know, uh, I I don't know. I I just so audition is one of these movies where I've heard I've heard enough to know that I probably would not enjoy it that much. Now I I realize somebody would say, well, hey, how do you know when you see it? Well, I just and I don't know if it's the older I'm getting, like true extreme horror, it just it has there has to be something almost more to it than that for me right. to really just get into. Like I loved Hereditary, and I know Hereditary is not to the level of an audition. I get that. But right. to me, that was more of emotionally traumatizing. Um, but I, I feel like that's where I, you know, that's where I can sort of sink my, my teeth into no pun intended, uh, but something like audition and, and, and uh, it's Takashi Miké, right. I've always been, I, for the longest time I would say Takashi Mike. Cause you know, right. uh, that was yeah. how it, what it looks like. <laughs> but, but Miki, I, 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 a lot of his movies I know go very extreme, uh, in general, well, right? it's, it's
1: it's funny. Yeah, it's funny because he talks about that in his interview. How that's what he's known for. Yeah, but he said he really only ever made four or five movies that way. I mean, he does have a very broad uh, filmography. I mean, he has something even something like Thirteen Assassins that came out a few years ago, which is you know like, extraordinary. Uh, But the thing with audition, though, Joe, I I think um, if—and I apologize—I actually thought you had seen this. Oh no, uh, no, no, no!
0: It's funny. uh, Just I wanted to throw this out there. You'd think it'd be the violence that would bother me, and it's really not. I mean, I don't. I I like a a bit of the old ultra violence. Okay, I not to commit it, but to to observe it. Uh, I don't mind extreme violence in a lot of things. I honestly think, and without giving anything away for those that haven't seen Audition, I know enough to know, I'll just say it involves vomit. And I don't, that's the kind of thing that I know it sounds really
1: lame, but I just find it extraordinarily difficult. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand that because that was a tough scene. That, yeah. that was a very tough that scene kind to, of stuff, to, to watch. I just, um, yeah. It, it But I would, I don't know. I think at some point and yeah, somewhere down the line, I would give it a chance okay. because it's not... Uh, for the first well more than half of the movie, it sets itself up up, up as something else mm-hmm. and it gets to the end and I think it i don't want to say it earns it, but it, it's it's really just uh, it, it makes it it does make it more disturbing I guess I'm not selling it to you <laughs> uh, with what you've heard about the movie yeah um. But I don't know. I think it's amazing. So, I, so if I just I do, keep telling I, myself
0: it's only a movie, it's only a movie, uh, it's yeah. only a movie, I'll be okay? Is that what I, you're saying, Dave? I don't know. <laughs> I,
1: I still don't know if that's going to help you <laughs> no. when, it, when okay. it gets to a certain point in the film. Okay. But um, I don't know. I just thought it was extraordinary. and Okay. Taste, I trust your taste, I
0: trust your taste. So I find that many movies that you have recommended that I have uh, hadn't seen that I do get to... I'm very seldom going. Oh my God, Dave led me astray. No, you have you have good taste. So I do trust. All right.
1: I do trust your taste. Um, well, I appreciate that, but uh, but again, I don't want to. It's it's not gonna. It's you're not gonna you're not gonna be whistling Dixie when this is done, yeah. and and you know you're just not. Am it, I gonna it, be feeling not, good, Dave? Gonna, Am I gonna be? It's not an uplifting movie. <laughs> okay, no, it's not yeah. that. Rob Zombie had said this is the movie that probably disturbed him the most yeah of of any that he's seen so um he said that in uh i remember seeing an interview with him where he had he had uh he had said that about audition um but then quentin tarantino lists is listed it as one of the 20 best movies to come out since um he started making movies with reservoir dogs mm. and he listed this and i think his number one was battle royale Mm, and say, I love battle royale. See, I mean, that's battle royale is you, you, amazing. I mean, you, yeah. you know, that's extreme.
0: But I think it also comes down to tone to me as well, because when right. it's when it's that over the top, like an Evil Dead 2 type of scenario, I love it all day long. Hills have eyes. Love it. Watch it all day long. Right. Uh, you know, watch right. it in a loop. And I mean, it's and some people would consider that very extreme. I've actually never found that movie that extreme. But so I guess it's all a matter of your sensibility. I think when it's grounded in extreme, like our, our beloved Jay of the Dead, he loves him some realistic extreme horror, the kind of horror that is just, you know, the that really feels real. And I think for me, that is. Tends to be not my company. I, I think of that Wolfman and I have that very much in common. That's not what I'm usually drawn right. to. Now it does seem
1: to be that audition has that. It has some moments. They're going to like WTF moments in yeah. this thing. There yeah. really are. Yeah, where you're you're like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, uh, it, it does have that, but it's it's sort of grounded in in this romance between an older man and a younger girl, and it, it calls into mind how well do you really know? The you know the person that you're sharing your life with, okay. At that moment, but I don't know. I just I think it's an amazing movie. I'll probably watch it, you know, as as often as I can. It's I don't know. Like I said, a nine point five for me. I think you have to own wow. it, and I think it's it's uh, one you got to have in the in the collection. All right, I will take your word for it,
0: and I will add it to my ever growing queue of movies that I need to uh, to catch
1: up on. So definitely. I would recommend this um this arrow release okay even if you have a previous release that there's enough of enough new stuff on this arrow release to if you're as big a fan of the movie as i am to make it worth your while absolutely worth picking up so would
0: you recommend for one if if one is just interested in uh seeing it for the first time and is tentative especially as it uh, applies to certain uh, vomitous type situations would you recommend <laughs> someone picking up arrow uh, version or would you say yeah you might want to I, I don't know stream it
1: online first or if something you like that haven't seen if you haven't seen the movie first gotcha i would watch the movie before i picked up the arrow release gotcha i, I, I would sense. do that but if you find yourself that that you're impressed with the movie or that you think wow that was really something and and yeah, I would like to own that. This this Arrow Blu-ray is the way to go. Yeah,
0: I do appreciate you sharing that with us, though. And you have convinced me that I will give it. I will give it a try. I'll give it a go. Okay, All right. Well, that wraps up episode one sixty-seven. Thank you to Josh and Kagan and William for that excellent Sundance slash Slam Dance coverage. And see what I did there, Dave. The slash you know like still slash born i'm just saying just throwing it out there oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was nice how i connected that with you know it's amazing and so uh, there's there's a theme running in this episode yes lots of slashes <laughs> lots of slashing <laughs> of things so yes thank you guys so much for that and uh, josh while we're on the subject of josh uh, where can they find you online
2: So the best place to find me on social media is at Icarus Arts, which is the name of my production company. And I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxed at Icarus Arts. Uh, Connect with me, one of those places, and we can chat. It's always a good time. Also, I've been working this week on, besides attending the Sundance Film Festival, getting uh, Universal Monsters cast relaunched. So for the time being, you can find it at monsterscast.libsen.com And eventually I'm going to reroute that to our original website as well. But those original episodes that got taken up by malware are all back up the first nine episodes, and we will be back very soon. As soon as I can, uh, get out of the film festival cycle that i'm in right now
0: that is excellent and i'm sure there'll be nice. i'm sure there'll be a little bit of a, a crossover between uh, hmp and uh, umc as far as the discussion goes but I, I will just say for the record and i think i speak for everybody that's present i am super stoked that what they're planning now at least tentatively without going to mm-hmm. i'm sure all the mm-hmm. listeners know yeah. already about by this time uh, what's going on but i'm really really stoked as to the potential for yeah, the, me too. the universal monsters and moving just- forward yes Super excited about that. So, uh,
1: Dave, where can they find you on the interwebs? Uh, Over at DVDInfatuation.com to check out my 2,500 reviews. Uh, Twitter, at DVDInfatuation. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and uh, other podcasts, the Universal Monsters cast. Uh, the We Deal and lad Western Podcast, which will be coming back at some point in the near future because uh, there's a movie I definitely would like to discuss. And also uh, with The Land of the Creeps with uh, Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, uh, Jesse Robbins, um, Justin Beam, and uh, several other uh, guests popping on from time to time over there. And we have a series going on now where we're looking at the monster movies we started with the 30s, 40s, and now we're getting into the 50s, 60s, the creature movies, uh, the sci-fi creatures we'll be talking about in the, mostly in uh, the upcoming episode at Land of the Creeps. And that's at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. Excellent. Thank you for
0: that, Dave. And I, too, can be found at Universal Monsters Cast. So, like Josh said, go check out all of those episodes. And, of course, retromoviegeek.com, where you can hear me and my co-hosts, Daryl and Peter, Act like man children, and uh, it's probably not nearly as entertaining as we like to think it is. But uh, it's a good time for us, <laughs>
2: <laughs> at any rate. It is. It definitely is. So yeah, uh, definitely. check that out.
0: We love your comments and hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can also find all 166 of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes Apple Podcasts. You can also get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at Teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash horror cast. And you can become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 a month, which gives you access to our monthly special features episodes at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network we want to thank singer-songwriter fred ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song you can find more of fred's music at frederick we also want to thank composer kagan breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of fred's original theme which opens the show you can find more of kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com and that's it for this episode we hope you'll join us again sunday after next for the horror cinema awards And we thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.
2: There are a lot of good movies to see, but there are also some awesome B-list celebrities to see, like Polly Shore, I think, is always my favorite person to look for on Main Street.
0: Now, real quick, I have um, to ask you, Josh. Did he sign your Biodome poster this time, or not?
2: <laughs> uh, uh, now, I I go son-in-law. That's okay, my, that's okay. my
1: go-to. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I was going to say, for Biodome, you'd need Stephen Baldwin too. Well, right? I mean, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's a uh, maybe he's
0: a uh, troll in the streets of uh, Park City as well. You never know. I don't know.
2: I don't know if Main Street can contain that amount of star power at once.
0: That's so. true. That's true
1: and it's a shame and i love trailers too i yeah. can't tell you how many trailer collections i have and you've turned me onto one of them that 80s horror <laughs> oh con. isn't that
0: great i love that that thing. is
1: awesome it's like eight hours or something like that of, yeah. of 80s horror trailers and then all the commentary year by year yeah and then commentary. And commentaries uh, we ought to do a review but just I mean, of that <laughs> uh, we could we should we probably should but yeah. it's like from 80 all the way up to 89 yeah, and yes commentaries yeah. and it's it's all, of, I mean, it's not all of them, but it's damn near all of them. It really it's a ton. <laughs> and that's a great collection. Yeah. And I love it. Um, but going like for newer movies, and I'm not saying, you know, they hey, they spoiled the hell out of movies back in that, back in those days. Oh, you yeah. can tell that just by watching the trailers, they spoiled the hell out of those oh, movies yeah. and those trailers. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying they're even doing that now, but trailers are going to be manipulated to get the audience excited about it. And sure. if it's a horror movie... It's going to focus on certain thieves, like with cold skin, um, that may not, that, that will be ultimately misleading. And mm-hmm. if you watch the trailer, you're going to watch it and say, oh, that's not what I was expecting. Sure. Not that they're going to spoil the movie and some do some, you know, most don't, mm-hmm. uh, cause I think they're getting a little better with that. I, I would hope they are anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, hell, let's be honest. I, I saw the trailer for Holmes and Watson and thought, wow, that looks pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently every single laugh was in that oh, two minute yeah. trailer oh but yeah what i'm hearing For and, sure. I'm, I'm, and I, I'm not going to waste my money on it so that's that's part of the danger with i think with uh, with trailers and it's it's a way to advertise the movie but if it's a movie you know you're going to see regardless why watch the trailer
0: yeah, and uh, just to follow up in case anybody who's listening was interested in it and doesn't already have it, it is Trailer Trauma 3 80s Horrorthon. Is that the compilation? Yes. yes. And
1: and it, I highly recommend it. It is it, I mean it is 8 hours solid of 80s horror trailers with commentary. Uh, with commentary. Uh, some movies that I I haven't seen yet and just because I don't I just can't bring myself to do it well i'll never watch a serbian film yeah i'll never watch that i'll never watch irreversible again when it comes to sexual violence i i find
0: it very hard to stomach that i mean i've seen last that's, house of the left a couple times and like that's about the extent of it even then that bothers me up one side and down the other and, like, it really and that's me.
1: that's that's probably the worst scene in the movie yeah but the second worst happens right at the beginning yeah and it's brutal i mean yeah. it it it, it, it it sets a tone for the movie, and it's it's told backwards. I mean, you see the ending first. It's like Memento in a way. Yeah, you see the ending first, and but it's just brutal. So yeah, irreversible. I wouldn't watch again. Probably never watched uh, Sallow mm-hmm. or 120 Days of Sodom mm-hmm. again. And I just can't. I can't bring myself to see the Human Centipedes.
0: Yeah. I, that, the, and for the exact same reason, I haven't either. And it's, so, it's sort of like the thing that keeps me from audition. Anything, you know, what it is, I, I think I just figured it out anything involving bodily fluids and part of the bodily, beyond bodily blood excrement. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There you go. That is like, for whatever reason, I just, I, I can't, I find that very hard. <laughs> blood just yeah. dump buckets of blood everywhere. Uh, right. Intestines. I, okay. I could deal with it, but for whatever reason, <laughs> you start getting into people right. consuming anything that like that i just knew nope, 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 nope.
1: yeah uh, and the, and the bad taste had a scene sort of like that uh, oh yeah it's true but see, I, but see i love that movie so i guess but, maybe but I'm that being... one, but that one was different because it's, it was alien Aliens, creatures and That's that was true. you know yes yeah, but still it was it was kind of tough yeah it's still gross <laughs>
3: And uh, it is deeply offensive to a good many people. I can imagine, yeah. Um, and and so I would but say, but also
2: intellectually honest. <laughs> yes, and
3: yeah. and I would say, as far as you know, Sundance's um, uh, mission statement this year of risk. This is, you know, this is pushing boundaries. Right. Something like this, and uh, I would say, even if you are a. Uh, if you're a believer that this is a... I won't go in into anything political, but I think that it's important to realize what this organization is pointing out, that we live in a nation of religious pluralism, um, and it's it's hard to not just, you know, see... In God We Trust on you sure. know in, on money and under God and the Pledge of Allegiance and right. this documentary also tells a really good story of how that even came about because right. a lot of people don't know that that only came about in the 1950s yeah due right. to lobbying from people like Billy Graham so uh yeah challenging the,
2: in God We Trust on the money that's right right
3: yeah because there was the whole threat of uh you know, the USSR and nuclear weapons. And so he was saying, if we don't become a Christian country again, we're all going to die. And so there was this big push to, to, to make the country Christian instead of secular.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a fascinating topic that we can discuss. You know, we talked about this stuff a little bit when we did our religious horror episodes, but it's It's hard for me to gain that perspective as someone who was raised with Christianity, and I, it's like hard for me to see why you know under God is problematic necessarily in a pledge of allegiance just because I was raised with that culturally as being not only acceptable but encouraged and sure and like a positive thing you know? yes, but I think um something like this is maybe an interesting way to look at our you know what are really our values as a nation, what is yeah. it that we're saying? we believe in as a government entity and how, you know, and, and how we want to be treated and governed. And if we were not the group who was in power, how would we expect that people would Absolutely. deal with us as a minority? I think that's all fascinating stuff to, to explore. So I hope that's not offensive to any yeah. more Christian listeners and- out there. The only thing that I have thought of with regard to the Satanic Temple before the Sabrina controversy in this documentary. Was the weird Satanist guy viral video? Do you remember that? No, my gosh, it's yes. not.
3: It's not Lucian Greaves, is it?
2: Is he a is he a comedian he that is, works for Nerdist?
3: No, oh. no, no. Lucian Greaves is the head of the Satanic Temple. Oh no, he's a founder.
2: No, this is a this is a comedy viral video that went around where people thought this was a real person, but it turns out he's a comedic actor, and he was there for the unveiling of the statue at the satanic temple. This is odd, but since William is producing this episode, this feels like a very William thing to do. Let's cut to that viral clip really quick, just for the pleasure of our audience.
6: As a small group
8: of protesters prayed, hundreds waited for tickets to the unveiling of an eight foot tall bronze statue of a goat headed Satan. Most of the people here agree with the teachings of the Satanic Temple, the group responsible for the event.
7: I'm just excited to see my lord and savior Baphomet represented in such glorious Italian stone. I do hope his eyes gaze upon me and that my allegiance is recognized. I don't know. Notice me, senpai. Notice me. Jesus! Jesus! Lord, we will hey, from professors took the heavy rainfall as some sort of sign
8: and even brought their own statue of an angel crushing the devil.
7: Part of me wishes that angel statue would come to life and King Baphomet would rise and two eternal juggernauts would do battle right here in the middle of the city. But for what is this battle raging, you ask? I don't know. What stands at the center? To that I say, my soul is at the center, offered up to the ageless ones, only to be torn in twain.
8: The unveiling here in Detroit is historic. The Satan statue has
0: never before been seen publicly. The Satanic Temple says the statue is a symbol for what they advocate, the separation of church and state.
7: It's like you can't have one without the other, you know? Like I'm equal parts God and the devil. A cloak of shame covers this man, and only supreme light will wash my body clean. But how could that light possibly reach me with the thick clouds of indecency that surround my poor soul? So I carry my wrongdoings on my back like some kind of tormented hiker lost in the hills of misfortune, looking desperately for that peak... To rescue him from the valley of depraved, habitual self-pleasuring, but again I find nothing except for sweaty, devastated loneliness, <laughs> and a thousand judging eyes staring back at me from the cover of a stolen Victoria's Secret catalog. <laughs> I didn't take your mail, Mrs. Pemberton. Stop asking me that. Leave me
6: alone.
7: <laughs> <Ona>? <laughs> I don't know. Satan's pretty cool. <laughs> Now it's important to know. How did that make
2: it on? Because the- it's so bizarre, just like all the bedroom intruder stuff, or have whatever. You, have you seen? Have you seen the leprechaun? <laughs> I'll
3: send it to you. Just it's it's a group of people that think there's a leprechaun hiding in the tree. Oh, that will be there's... good for
2: our St. Patrick's Day episode coming up yeah. here soon.
3: Ooh, hey, I'll send it to you. Anyway, so,
2: so hail, hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail
3: Satan.